Welcome back to Deck Attack Podcast. As always, I'm your host, aging fantasy authors, Jay. Soon as always, is my co-host, their unfinished series, Z. How are you doing today, Z? You know, Jack, I was doing better. I was. We've had we've had a pretty devastating yeah. uh, occurrence this, this afternoon, but, you know, we'll carry on. We'll persevere. Carry on nonetheless. I'll be heavier steps, but still moving forward. That's right. Of course. Exactly. You gotta do. You just gotta, you know? Of course. Speaking of terrible things that have happened, uh, I'll quiet on the Western Front. We're just gonna, <laughs> wait, we just gonna leave it hanging uh, there? Should we tell people what the, because it was a bit of a meme. I was, oh, I was mostly, you're talking about the, the Buffalo Bills losing their football game. Not anything. Of course. Not anything, actually. To like, the Jets, no less. Well, yeah, that's, it is pretty devastating, but it's not, uh, it's not actually like a bad thing that's happened to us in our personal lives. So no need to worry. No, it's just, yeah, we'll, we'll be all right for now. Mm-hmm. The Jets, though, you watch out. Ugh, they better the sleep with both eyes. They better open. watch their backs. Yeah. All right. So as you were saying, we watched um the the Netflix film. Well, really, I mean, it's just it's one of those ones that Netflix just bought. But regardless, uh, all quiet on the Western Front this week. The uh, obviously the 2022 uh, version. The first uh, German, all German casting, it said on Netflix. Yeah, this, this movie, the, like the first, yeah. mm-hmm. German production. They, you know, they made it there and everything. Which I think, I gotta say, I think it's maybe had an effect on some of the, some of what's in this movie, and maybe not a way that I totally agree with. But we'll get to that. But just generally speaking, mm-hmm. right out the bat here, how did you, uh, how did you find it? Uh, I thought it was good. Uh, it was upsetting because it was Grizzly War. But it was still a good movie overall. I agree. Now, just for for everyone's reference here, I've read the the book. You have not. Um, I've also seen one mm-hmm. of the the prior adaptations, the mm-hmm. the latter one from the seventies, which is not the which is generally agreed to to be the worst one of the two. The one in the thirties, people really really like. Um, I have the same problem with it that I have kind of with like. What's it called there? Citizen Kane, just conceptually, even though I've never seen any of these movies, but I struggled with the idea that people consider them some of the best films ever made because I'm just like, gosh, it was so long ago. I, I feel like we have to have surpassed it by now, but regardless, um, yeah, so I have that I have that frame of reference going forward here. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with everything you said. It's, it's very, very grisly in a way that most war movies even aren't, I think. And it's, you know, it's one of the things where it all comes down to tone and, and presentation, right? Um, Right. Yeah. The, I would say there's not a ton of super horrible violence in this one that like is really that much worse than you know a lot of other war movies necessarily. But it's definitely mm-hmm. presented in a way where there's no even vague sort of like positive kind of slant to it, and that makes it harder to watch because you can obviously understand as the viewer that like the movie wants you to understand that this is just horrible. So, it's just a horrible thing that has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely the production side of things I think is great. I think this movie like looks really good, and that all the action and stuff is done super well. It's um, I I don't know. I don't want to sound ignorant here, but I would say it's a little bit difficult for me to totally pin down the performances because we don't speak German, right? But yeah, they seem to have all done a pretty good job. I, I'd say so. I I felt I felt like they had emotion for sure. Oh yeah. But again, yeah, I can't the delivery of a language I don't understand. Is like well, I can get so much from this Perfect. from like an acting standpoint, and I can't, I can't even judge really people who speak English very well. So exactly, most of the time we just know, only diminishing from there. Exactly. So, but yeah, again, all the production stuff seems really good. Um, I, you know, 
there's some people I've been reading on here and on various internet places. I don't know, not necessarily, you know, uh, well-respected critics or whatever, but nonetheless, a lot of people have said this is like one of the best horror movies they've ever seen. And I, I suppose I would have to put it up there for me personally. I haven't seen a ton of, I guess I wouldn't say I've seen a ton of war movies. So, but it is like, probably if I watched a couple, I'd probably, it's from probably stand against a lot of them just from its, seen, from what I've seen of it so far. But again, I can't make a huge. You seen Save a Private Ryan? Nope. You seen Black Hawk Down? Nope. Oh. 1917? War Horse? Nope. Nope. Well. Haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge? Oh, yeah. That's a good one too. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, but so let's, let's get into some of the specifics then story-wise i want to talk about some of the things that were changed so full spoilers for this uh the movie and also for the book for sure um but so of course one of the big differences that stood out to me is about uh the halfway point ish as i recall um i i will say it's been a few years since i've actually read the book so i don't have perfect recall on it but you know, this is just the vibes I was getting. So about halfway-ish through the book, um, Paul gets to go home on leave. Um, I guess I should say even before that, a, a thing that stood out to me immediately is that in the book, they join um, quite early on after the beginning of the war in 1914, right? Uh, so that kind of changes mm-hmm. things to to some extent. Um, I don't know if this was a decision they made based just off of like actors, like the reality of, of that kind of production thing is that, um, you know, making the movie take place across the span of four years would be harder to pull off in that your actors wouldn't age properly. But I, I don't know. I can't imagine that was a real, a real hurdle because like, yeah, you could suspend your disbelief for a moment. Movies have taken bigger leaps than that before. So, but regardless, oh, absolutely. So that's a big one that he's, he fights in the war for like pretty much fully four years. Um, regardless, about halfway through, he gets to return home for, uh, on leave and the purpose of this scene in the book, this the sequence is to like demonstrate just how disconnected he feels from his his hometown and like his family and everything. Like his father and his um his like teachers and stuff ask him these like tedious and like insensitive questions about the war and stuff. You know that you wouldn't you, mm-hmm. the type of shit you don't like to hear as a vet and all that. And uh, the only person he's able to connect with still is his mother, who is. Uh, also dying of cancer, so it's a real, oh, yeah, it's a whole thing. Grim. Um, and that f- that sequence is totally omitted from this adaptation here. And like, I don't, I don't want to be the guy who just, you know, nitpicks every single uh, difference between the the source material and the adaptation. But I guess the thing I was trying to keep an eye out for is like, well, is the same, is the same intent being conveyed, right? Like, generally mm-hmm. speaking, like, are the same ideas coming across? Because that's what's more important than like specific scenes is obviously broad concepts. Um, and I guess I would say for the right, most part, yeah. I think this movie lived up to that. But I do think that was what is an important kind of idea, idea that was maybe not as well conveyed in the movie is how um, how sort of disaffected they were by the end. Uh, and like there's definitely conversations throughout this one where they talk about it. Right. And they kind of say it. But it's it's not. I feel shown as much, maybe. Yeah, it's just, just kind of told to us. Where Kat's like, I don't know if I'm going to want to go back to, to normal life. I kind of, maybe I'll just miss sitting around the campfire with you guys, huh? And, like, we get that, but, yeah, there's not this, like, really in-your-face scene of, like, he's home, and he's just so removed from it all, and he feels so alienated. Because that was one of Eric Maria Remark's big things, right, in writing it. And uh, 
you know, all the stuff he thought about afterwards is like, and it's that, that quote, right. That's from the, it's the opening line and it's in the, it was in the trailer and everything. Right. That mm. like he wrote it about a generation of men who, even the ones who survived the, the war were still destroyed by it. And, uh, we don't, I feel like maybe we don't get quite as much of that in this particular adaptation. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Um, and I think to take me to the thing I was, I was referencing earlier, potentially the reason it was excised from this, this version is to make way for some scenes that were not in the book at all, which is the all the Daniel Brule stuff, right? Hmm. So his whole sequence in this movie, he plays... Oh, oh I should bring it up. He is playing Matthias Erzberger? Erz, if that's a real man. It was. He was the German writer. He was a German writer and politician, the Minister of Finance from 1919 to 1920. He spoke out against World War One from 1917 and off as an authorized representative of the Reich government signed the armistice between Germany and the Allied powers. So he's, that was all real. Um, but anyways, that is not in the book at all, right? So the book is 100% just from Paul's perspective. And I would say largely it's, mm-hmm. it's uninterested in examining the sort of uh, like root causes of the war and the, and the larger perspective and the, and the politics and the statecraft of it all. Right. Because the, the mm-hmm. book is pointedly about, this is what, you know, this is an individual soldier's kind of experience. Um, so how did how did you find this stuff? Uh, I I didn't mind it. Um, it wasn't quite as interesting, I'll say. Uh, but I think it was a nice, I guess, reprieve from uh, like all the grisly, like dark, heavy war stuff with Paul. And I think maybe it, it serves to uh, show the watcher that like there are people like it's not just the soldiers who like think this is awful and they can't really do anything about it. It's like actually Daniel Brühl's character is like a very much against the war and like it shows like the implications of it, like abroad, like all the stuff, like how the two are interconnected, which I thought that was good. I, I could totally agree with all that. Um, I do have a little bit of problems with it. Um, I guess I would say first and foremost, like I think this is what I was referring to earlier about it being a, a German production. And um, I, I feel like maybe there's a little bit of bias here um, in potentially trying to uh, it's, it's, Going quite sympathetic on the German side of things and in maybe vilifying the the French a little bit beyond reason. Um, mm. Right. Did you get any of that sense? Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely get that especially yeah, especially from the uh the, like when they're meeting, like the French leaders are very much like unrelenting and like, Nope, fair, nope, we're we crushed you, you lose, that's how it is. Fucking sign the paper. And he's like, Please Come on, man. Like, you know, give me a break. Mm-hmm. And like the the thing is, is you have to get that feeling. What is presented in this movie, right? If if you just had seen this and you aren't necessarily super knowledgeable on World War One, like in a vacuum, they do seem like kind of the jerks, right? Of like, hey, come on, can't we can't we come to a compromise here? Um, but the historical reality of it all, right, is that and it's you know, history is never quite this simple and there's lots of factors involved, but if we're just gonna be straight up and down about it, Germany invaded France in this war. Um, pretty much purely out of like uh, ambition and like imperialist, you know, uh, goals. And so the fact that they started it basically, and then France ended it, and now they're like, "Well, can't you go easy on us about it, though?" It's like I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. You know, y- you lost fair and square, <laughs> like in yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't know. I just I find it pretty difficult to sympathize too heavily with these the militant 
German guys. And and I suppose this movie does present them as the villains as well, or or some level of antagonists. Like Daniel Brühl is the good one who's like, no, we just need to end this at all costs. It doesn't matter. We've all lost anyways. But there is still that dissenting opinion of like these guys are like, oh come on, we, why can't we keep all sax Lorraine, right? And it's like that's that's such a weird mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, as obviously very historically accurate, but it's like, that's just land that they took that they want to keep after the war, basically. And it's like... Yeah, like, well, we won at fair and square when we killed all you, so we should keep it, I think. Hey, I know we're losing, but don't you think we should just keep it? And it's like, no. Or I guess it's, I should say, it's not from World War One. It's from that, um, the previous conflict that is is kind of alluded to in this movie. Um, the, I think it was the Franco- prussian war that you know the mm-hmm. the german general guy who's talking about how his dad marched on paris or whatever oh yeah yeah is that. that conflict so they took this land and now france is like well we would actually like all that back um and it's presented as being this kind of like oh this is a bit they've gone a bit too far and it's like i don't know it seems kind of reasonable from the actual french perspective it's like you guys started this you invaded us this whole war was fought in france for the most part uh, well obviously not the whole war that's that's a gross oversimplification. But the Western Front was all in France, right? Germany didn't have to suffer yeah. too much directly on its own lands. Um, and so they're like, we would like that back. We would like you to just give up pretty much unconditionally. Um, and we would like you to not have a military, as strong of a military going forward so that you can't do this again. And it's kind of, it's not, I don't know. It doesn't feel horrible. I, you know, I was reading about it this week as a, you know, because of this and, and some different perspectives. And I don't know if you remember, but in like... In school, I remember being taught that the Treaty of Versailles is like almost part of the reason for the rise of the like Nazism in Germany, right? Um, and I'm, yeah, yeah, definitely the same thing. I remember being taught almost of like, oh, maybe if they went a little easier on the Germans, we wouldn't have. They wouldn't have happened. They could have maybe avoided World War II. And it's first and foremost, that's kind of like a, you know, it's a hindsight is twenty twenty type thing, isn't it? Yeah. But the other Absolutely. the other thing there is, I was reading, it's not necessarily very accurate at all. Um, First and foremost, it wasn't that like uh, egregious of a you know of a treaty. Like apparently, it was no pretty much like softer on Germany than they were on France in that previous conflict. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it's pretty when you think about it logically. Of like the argument basically being, well, if the French had gone easier on them and and let them keep more of their stuff and all. That would have that would have discouraged them more from doing another war. It's like I don't know if that necessarily follows. Yeah, because if they, they, it might make them more emboldened. Yeah. So it's one of those things you can't. You literally can't say anything. You can't, right? There's no way to know. Like, I mean, anything like that historically. Yeah. Once you get too deep in the weeds of like hypotheticals, it's like, well, we just. I mean, come on. There's no way to know. So yeah, it didn't happen. So we can't. Like, it's only so much we can talk exactly. about exactly um, meaningfully. And basically, you know, I was reading about a bunch of stuff of like the the attitudes that are present in this movie that reflect pretty well certain um, attitudes in Germany during this time. You know, they endured for decades and a lot of it is still at the heart of like what, you know, the Nazi sort of ideology was and and like their whole thing Mm -hmm. was obviously very militaristic. And this this idea of like, you know, might makes right kind of thing persisted. So, you know, a lot of the, it's not necessarily fair to say, I suppose, it's not quite so simple as like the Germans are the bad guys in this one and they're the bad guys in World War II or whatever. And, and you know, these guys aren't literal Nazis, but in general, I would say they were more in the wrong, if anyone can really be in the right when it comes to war. But 
it's just a, that all that yeah. stuff is kind of weird for me in this movie because it again i think being from the german perspective they are inclined to maybe have that bias and i guess that's their right but as obviously as an american i suppose i'm inclined to be more allied centric right in my perspective and that's mm-hmm, that was yeah. kind of takeaway i had from that but yeah the the scenes themselves i suppose were not horrible uh then i know one of the changes from the book is how again spoilers paul dies yes that was your yeah, i know they've changed that so i want to before paul real quick let's do cat right so cat's death is actually quite similar to the book in in a lot of ways um i would say the the biggest difference is that they don't he doesn't get shot by a farmer he just gets shot in in battle right um but the whole sequence of paul carrying him to the hospital is is quite similar and equally kind of sad i would say so i think that was done pretty well um in the book it's even more a little bit more heart-wrenching of because as i recall it's he got a very mild wound in the book right so in this one he gets shot in the gut and it's like oh you'll be fine it's you know it's that classic movie thing of like oh you'll pull through it'll be fine and then you know they get there and of course it wasn't um because he'd gotten shot in the mm, yeah. I, I again i'm a little foggy but as i recall it was even more mild injury like i want to say in the leg or something like cat would have been fine kind of thing um and as he's carrying him all the way to the hospital he gets there and he's dead and he's like, I don't understand. It was such a minor wound. And the doctor's like, no, you got hit in the head. And Paul's like, what? And basically what happens is that on his way to the hospital, while while Paul was carrying him, he got hit by like a piece of shrapnel that killed him. Ooh. And it's just that that much more level of like, you know, pure like chance and, and chaos that is war kind of thing. Um, so I think that's like, mm. I don't know. To me, that's an interesting kind of level. That's in the book that isn't quite in this in the movie, but generally speaking, that whole sequence is about the same. But yeah, Paul's death is is very different. Um, and I I don't know. I I would hesitate to say either one of them is better. I think they represent very different kind of ideas, you know, like different sort of themes there. Yeah. So in the book, he dies in October. Uh so close to the end of the war, but not like in, in the movie here. It's it's literally the final day, right? Um so he dies in October. Yeah. And Cat is like in the movie here. Cat's already dead. All his friends are dead. He's he's the last one. He's surrounded by all these young guys who he doesn't know. Um, they have inklings that the war is ending soon, but Paul finds that he he doesn't care. Like he's so like broken that he finds that he doesn't even have hope for the future, even when the war is over. He just is kind of numb. And it's a mm. relatively peaceful peaceful day on the trench. It's kind of quiet. Nothing crazy's going on. And Paul sees a bird. And he like moves to to try to get closer to it so that he can can draw it. Um, and in doing so, he reveals himself to a sniper and he's killed. Um, but for the rest of the day, there really is nothing notable that happens. There's no assaults, and so the report that's given on that day from command is all quiet on the Western Front. And that's obviously where the title comes from. Um, and mm-hmm. so in the book, it's kind of this idea of like I don't know. Is it irony? I struggle with what irony is, <laughs> but like poetic it's kind of it's some kind of poetic coincidence something or another that like paul survives all of the hardest you know fiercest fighting he survives the tanks and the flamethrowers and all this through through four years of war right he's he becomes a hardened Mm -hmm. veteran soldier and then what kills him isn't some big assault on a trench or anything right it's that he kind of like slips up in the in the final days of the war and it's also there's something to the idea that like he tries to find and enjoy like one of the, yeah. the tiniest bits of like joy 
and, and beauty that's allowed to him and doing so he's killed right like that's there's that yeah instantly yeah there's that element to it and stuff as well we're in the movie here uh what happens is the the commander sends them on a final assault on the uh the very last minutes of the war, right? They know the armistice is going into effect at 11 a.m. And so he's like, well, if we get these lines, then that'll, you know, we can we can claim them on the, uh, whatever, the maps here that that are going to be used in the in the negotiations going forward. So get out there, boys. So they, you know, we get one last battle scene where they charge a trench and he's he's killed, right? He gets bayoneted by that guy on right. what turns out to be the, the literal final minute of fighting, it seems, right? Because it's literally, it's a matter yeah. of seconds later that the armistice is called into effect. Um, which, again, obviously has its own sort of, you know, thematic comment, connotations and stuff that are just a little different. Um, it's it's yeah, yeah. kind of tragic in a different way, right? Like being the, like... It was so close. Yeah, so close, right? Being like the last dude to die in the war is is sucks, right? In, in a losing cause, they know that they aren't winning anything of substance. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it's a thing I've read about in in World War Two as well. This idea that like towards the end when you could when the Germans could see the writing on the wall, they didn't actually want to fight anymore. Like who who wants to be the you know the chump who's the last guy to die for a, a losing cause, right? Yeah. So there is something to this idea that this and, and World War One in particular is kind of this conflict that was ultimately so like meaningless and and convoluted in its you know in its beginnings and on all that that you know. Dying as the last pointless death in a largely pointless war is like just you know it's it's doubly messed up. Yeah, yeah, it's layer on layer. So I think that's interesting. I again, I don't, I wouldn't say either of them are necessarily better. Um, I did see a lot of people had problems with this scene just on like a realism perspective of like, was anyone so so cruel and and you know un, unfeeling in that way as to continue the fighting onto up until the last minutes like that. Um, I don't know if there was any kind of anything to this actual effect, right? Like like assaults where they had like larger scale attacks with dozens of men in the final hours. But I did read mm-hmm. that there is it is documented um, that um, the the last belligerent who is believed to have died in World War One um, was an American who died on 1059. So mm-hmm. from that perspective, I suppose it is it is accurate enough that the fighting continued until the very last minutes, which is so crazy to me. It's kind of it's almost unbelievable that yeah you just you hear that morning or something and you can't all just chill for a few hours so that everyone can make it but you know again I suppose that's kind of yeah, it's it's kind of, yeah that's the whole war isn't it the point again <laughs> yeah yeah I was thinking that even when like the whole thing with cat to go to the farm I was like you guys couldn't just not go to that farm for like the like the last day you're there you had to get them one more time right like you're about to leave well it's like yeah that feels not great. Just robbing that farmer so much, like, come on, just let him be. Yeah, if he, if they just not done that, cat wouldn't have had to die. Exactly. They probably he maybe would have lived. Exactly. They both might have lived, but you know, it's kind of the thing of it. I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I did think I did. It was it was very like especially tragic how he like just has enough to walk out into like the sun and see the poster that his friend had. Oh yeah. Put up there when they had the line before they retreated. One hundred percent. Really interesting. That just goes to. That really drives home the whole uh, idea of the war, which, I mean, we get that that end card, right? That this conflict was years of just fighting back and forth over the same, you know, little pieces of land. Um, it's it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I totally agree. That you see, this was the same one they had. That's that's all they've managed to gain back. They didn't actually 
they didn't really gain anything. They're back to square one, right? Yeah. So it was all kind of for nothing. It was all yeah, kind of for nothing. Um, but the last thing I kind of want to talk about in terms of this movie um, was a thing I've seen repeated a few times, and I sent you a particularly egregious quote that we're pretty certain is just bait, right? But I really can't tell. I went yeah. back to find his Twitter after I'd watched the movie to double check, and I'm I'm not I'm still not one one hundred percent certain where this guy actually lands i really can't tell if he's just uh, he's probably just a troll but regardless um he said uh watching all quad in the western front adaptation and it's pure libtard mindset propaganda great visuals and overall aesthetic but the story even more so than the book wallows in mm, or bad desperately need a storm of steel-esque movie or something this can't be at all i don't exactly know what storm of steel is um but regardless uh that's a pretty wild take if you ask me it's probably the most insane take to have after this movie uh, he says it's more, more than the book, which I, I don't know. It's more visceral than the book because it is a movie that you have to, you know, that, yeah. Sit through and like see. Like, it's not like a book where you have to kind of imagine the horrors yourself, I suppose. But generally speaking, All Quiet on the Western Front is, is literally known as one of the most sort of notable um, anti-war works that exists. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. calling almost anything like more anti-war is kind of silly and and you know superfluous but you know regardless um yeah this the book and movie definitely are 100 percent anti-war on on pretty much every level and I, from what i can tell um the sort of opposing argument to it comes from that uh from his opening right the right. uh well let me get um, so it's the opening line to uh, a quite a western front is this book and now okay I, j- just real quick it's obviously the english translation i will say that um i have a couple quotes here i was going to reference so obviously these are translated so we don't i mean i don't speak german so you don't have it perfectly but that's just, mm. just the way it is right that's just the just the, the breaks with this one with cookie crumbles the way, yeah exactly so mm. um but it's this book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession and least of all an adventure for death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will try simply to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped shells, were destroyed by the war. Um, and from what I can tell, people have really latched on the very first um, phrase there. This book is neither to be an accusation nor a confession. Um, and they've kind of latched on a little bit like, look, his point was to just be like a, you know, he's taking the middle road, right? He's taking the moderate kind of perspective. He's not he's not confessing to anything wrong or, or accusing anyone. He's just kind of presenting it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's true, but I think that's kind of a mis- misunderstanding of what he meant, maybe, and his intention. I, I don't see how anyone could watch this movie or read the book and come away from it thinking he was anything other than, like, vehemently opposed to anti-war. Yeah. Like, I just don't... I just... I don't really understand um, the idea that like, well, he said he was kind of going to be, you know, he wasn't trying to accuse anyone. Um, I I think the idea he was going for is more so that like when writing a book like this, you don't have to be super pointed in your accusing or whatever you'd call it. Right. I Mm. I feel like what he was trying to say maybe was that it should speak for itself. Yeah, he doesn't have to put a fine point on it because just the just blatantly stating the things that have occurred are enough to be like, okay, this is pretty awful, isn't it? All this trench warfare and the flamethrowers. Precisely. Like, if you just understood what happened, how could you take? How could you possibly take anything positive from it that you would, you know, 
again, I, I think this thing is more just it speaks for itself. Like if I just if I just tell it to you like it is, that should be enough for you to realize just how bad this was without me having to, yeah, to to get on my soapbox about it. Because that's that's kind of one of the distinguishing features of this book is that a lot of the descriptions and the depictions of the the day-to-day life and the trench and the the warfare itself is quite you know, quite like subtle almost. Like it's very just matter of fact. It's not super you know, like trying to be super in your face or anything, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. It just kind of tells it like it is, like in a, in a soldier's kind of way, right? And I I don't think I mentioned any point here, but Eric Maria Remarque is a, was a veteran, right? Like, so he did serve in, in World War One. That's where he's obviously, you know, basing a lot of his experiences on. It's, you know, it's impossible to know how much, how much of it, you know, is firsthand experiences he had or things he heard about or, or saw or whatever and, and all that. But I would say it's pretty fair to assume that, you know, a, a lot of it comes from his, his pretty firsthand knowledge. Like he would know. Hmm. Um, so where, where was I going? I don't know. I was just saying that it's not super, again, it's not super like in your face and even morbid necessarily about a lot of the, the descriptions. It's just, again, because I guess being a soldier, his perspective would just be like, yeah, this is how it did. You know, it's very reflective of the idea that you just get desensitized to it at a certain point, right? Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I I just don't. I just don't get it. You know, it's very weird to me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I don't see how people can take that kind of stance on these sort of things because, like, military. Yeah. My thing is compared to even other sort of war movies, even even ones that seem to portray war in a pretty negative light. Um, the examples we, we did earlier there, right? Like Hacksaw Ridge, Saving Private Ryan, you know, all of those generally, I would say, portray a, a pretty, you know, full-on depiction of war. And most people should come away thinking it's negative. But they also, most of those have some kind of, like, seed of positivity to a, late, a greater or lesser extent, right? Like Hacksaw Ridge, for example, mm, you're yeah. like, oh, my God, look at all these men who died. But then there was this guy who was a hero and saved them. And isn't that cool? Isn't that sort of, like, there's glory to that, I guess. And Mm -hmm. same with like saving private Ryan It's like all these guys died to save private Ryan at the end, but he was able to like, you know, in recognition of their sacrifice, he took that and he did his best to, you know, live a full good life. And that's, you know, that's all any of us can hope for kind of thing. And that's nice. And the thing about this is that there is, there isn't even any of that, right? There is not even a shred to cling on because they all die. No one learns a lesson. Oh, yeah. No one is able to carry anything with them because they're just gone. And none of them die in very like grandiose or heroic ways. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Like they all just die in pretty much no meaning at all. In either, yeah, meaningless ways. Again, that's kind of the nature of this like, whole conflict. Nobody really was able to do anything super meaningful. Like n- the whole war didn't amount to much. So how could a you know an individual soldier's life really? You said you had other quotes. Yeah, you to so in terms of it being like anti-war, um, some people have argued. Eris, I did see someone bring up the point of like it's maybe questionable if any if a film could ever be truly anti-war because by very the very nature of like depicting war and violence, right, in film, you are glorifying it yeah. to some extent, which is mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of a perspective I could sort of understand, right? Yeah, because I there's there's definitely a like. Yeah, if you're making a movie about it, there must be something entertaining. Like the whole purpose of a movie is to entertain mm-hmm. you. So there has to be a framework of this that like maybe unintentional by the filmmakers will be like, oh no, maybe war's kind of cool. Yeah. And I mean shit, that's why 
that's what they make Top Gun. Because it's like, hey guys, look how cool war exactly. is. Join the and Navy, like, please. Maybe cinema is like you know it's inherently spectacular, right? You're supposed to watch it, be like ooh and ah, and you know if the subject matter is war, yeah, are you supposed to be like ooh that's just, that's crazy, that's interesting, and like how do you you know how do you get around that? I guess mm-hmm. so. I I understand that to some extent. Yeah, it's, it's, mm. But even even having said that, I think this movie pretty succinctly shows that war is awful and a horrible thing. Of course, and uh, like it's even even like oh they're, they're like running, but like. They always linger long enough on a part, like when, like when Paul kills that that French guy and he stabs him. He's like, oh, "I lived," and the scene keeps going for longer than another, another a different movie, which wasn't trying to tell the same kind of story, would linger. Uh, and like he has to like watch him die, and like Paul's feelings change. Like there's a lot oh, yeah. like more going on that like you're forced to witness. There's nothing else happening. There's no real music or sound. It's just him in a hole with this other guy. Hundred percent. That's that's straight out of the movie, or uh, rather out of the book. I thought that was very well done. The the only difference really mm-hmm. being that in the book he it takes much longer. He dies across the the course of the whole night. They like they sit there for hours, which is obviously even more horrible. But like it was bad enough, obviously, as a viewer to watch it unfold for whatever yeah. handful of minutes it was. Um, and yeah, my I guess my kind of counter to that mindset would be like, well, you can sort of say that about anything, right? No matter what your your message is in any kind of media or art or whatever, there is always the potential that some, you know, lowest common denominator will misunderstand your intention, right? And, and you know, take something away from it other than what you intended, even if that is maybe the opposite, right? There is, yes, undeniably mm-hmm. some small percentage of people who will watch this movie and be like, oh man, war's war's badass, I guess. But like, does that mean it's not worth it's not worth doing? You know? Yeah, is it is it not worth fighting for something? But it's a because again, that could apply to like any story. It's a lot of, it's a lot of hard to answer. Oh yeah, questions. it's like it's and that's one mm-hmm. of the things I kind of just wanted to say about the movie generally is like I don't necessarily have all the answers here, but this movie definitely made me think a lot, which is you know that's something. What, yeah, what, yeah, what you want? I mean, one hundred percent. Want to at least go away like having some kind of thoughts about it? You just want to be like, huh? There, that was the Eternals. I guess yeah, I'll go exactly. home now. <laughs> exactly. You want to be affected by it. Um, one of the quotes I had. Again, there's just if you actually look at it, there's just so many quotes that are all just about how horrible it was, and it's like again, I don't know how anyone could could possibly um just read this book and not realize that like oh, there's there's nothing good that happens. The the only I was thinking about it, the only like slightest good that comes out of this, I suppose, is that the the men do become like close comrades and all, and that is a quote. Let me find it. Um, but like. You know, there is something to that. And that's that's a common theme in a lot of war movies that I've seen, even the ones where it's like this conflict is bad or our intentions here are bad or like we really shouldn't be here kind of thing. You know, movies about Vietnam and stuff where the there's not really a good moral center to this whole thing. And so the only thing you can kind of find is like, well, I'm here for the guy next to me. Right. Um, That's a thing you hear a lot. So, yeah. But but the thing that is, again, they all die. So. It's hard to say that, oh, look it, they all became such good friends. Isn't that nice? And then each one of the friends died in turn, so that's cool. <laughs> like, mm. no, nah, not really, right? Yeah. It's, it only goes so far, these themes. It can't really be like, oh, well, that's the message of the whole movie. It's like, well, no, it's really clearly set up to get knocked down. Like, the overall theme is that no matter what you, like with the bird thing at the end of the book, like, no matter what kind of humanity you can try to hold on to it will take from you in the worst way it can and you'll be ruined or dead 100 percent. right so it's it's just a horror it's terrific yeah 
Um, I don't know. I can't find it. But yeah, he said something about esprit de corps and how that they that's the one good thing. Um, I want to talk about. I saw criticism was people people said that like it didn't do enough again because of the absence maybe of that leave scene. It didn't do enough to convey that these guys were alienated from from their you know what the quote unquote real world right that mm. these men would be unable to return to society um at times they seem to be having like too much fun and they're like okay with it for the most part and they're all just chilling and like even yeah. even the sequences of the full-on battle where they're killing other guys it doesn't seem to affect them very much uh which i suppose i can understand to some extent but i did i've when i was looking back through these i saw this quote um which was from the book, which is it's all rot that they put in the war news about the good humor of the troops. We are in good humor because otherwise we should go to pieces. So this idea that like, well, they, you got to try to pretend like you're having a good time or like you, if yeah. you can't even, you know, yeah. If you can't put on a good face between the fighting or ever, even if you can't try to joke around with your friends, then what else do you do? You just wallow yeah, you in just, it. Right? You just wait till the next time you might die and then you kill everybody else. So you don't die. Like it just, will just pile up on you. So, like, you don't have a choice. Like, that's just a natural sort of human reaction. It doesn't necessarily mean that those guys were all having fun. And I do think there's a, definitely a handful of stuff where you see you see it get to them, right? Um, his one friend there, I think it's Albert Crop, uh, the one with the picture. That guy's mm-hmm. mental state seems pretty fragile. <laughs> by the oh, end, yeah, there, absolutely. When he's, when he's talking to the paint, the picture and stuff. I, I think that's reflective the, of that. The guy who runs off and like gets that small when he talks to those French girls and he comes back and then he gets blown the hell up. Like they gotta mm-hmm. latch on whatever they can. Exactly. And the, exactly. So I don't think again. I mean, it, it's hard because you you know, obviously I'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who has the book and all, and so I don't know if that's a fair actual way to judge the film here, but. That was just a thought I had. It's like, that's a common thing is that between the fighting, they all joke around and they, they have fun or whatever, because otherwise they would, yeah, you just wallow in it and you just, you just got mad. So I don't think it's necessarily saying that these guys are all actually in a good headspace. And again, we, there is conversations where cat does get like real and vulnerable. And he's like, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think we can go back. I don't know if, if I'll be able mm-hmm. to kind of thing. So, um, I think, I think that was most of it. Again, there's, so I mean, there's lots of good quotes. It's like, um, we always see it too late. Why do they never tell us that you are poor devils like us, that your mothers are just as anxious as ours, and that we have the same fear of death? Which is a big deal. Again, that's kind of tied into the scene with the mm-hmm. French guy. That's like, it's, it's not quite the same in the movie, but in the book, that's said to be the first time he kills anyone close up like that in sort of hand-to-hand right, yeah. combat. And so it has an even more profound effect on him. Um, in the movie here, we see him kill a lot of guys prior to that. So doesn't quite have the same impact mm-hmm. i guess but yeah again it's it's I tons of quotes about how still these guys yeah. are just ruined constantly throughout the book he they're referred to as like being already mm. dead you know like spiritually or whatever i guess so i i just don't see how anyone it, he and he wrote a sequel as well um about the handful of characters who do survive um and what mm. what they get up to upon their return home and it's not good they i can't imagine it <laughs> Which again is the whole thing that like it, it just it doesn't go well for anyone like it, it and this is obviously you know consistent across Europe of of just how many you know people the whole generation of young men were irreparably damaged the ones who weren't 
you know, killed. Like he has a quote about how they were 18, like when they all left, like they were just, just on the cusp of like maturity. Right. And beginning to, to yeah. love life and, and others. He's got this one. We are forlorn like children and experienced like old men. We are crude and sorrowful and superficial. I believe we are lost. Yeah, it just destroys everything, you know? Oh, this it's is it. it all. Um, we are not youth any longer. We don't want to take the world by storm. We are fleeing. We fly from ourselves, from our life. We were 18 and had begun to love life in the world, and we had to shoot it to pieces. Oh. Yeah, it's good stuff. I don't know. It's 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 one of my favorite books I've ever read, I think. Um, it definitely had an effect on me to an extent. And as I've, I mean, I read it when I was still like in high school, so I was uh, younger now. And I know it sounds kind of silly, but like, because we're still so young, but even just in, you know, past handful of years, I feel like I've matured enough where I started to see some things differently. And like, I would say this movie is an, even just an example of that, of like, I think I've become more sensitized, like, could be the word, less desensitized. I've become more sensitive again, I guess, yeah. to violence and, and depictions of violence right, stuff yeah. in, in some of the media. I think I've, I've talked to you about that before, right? I don't think it's come up on the show directly. Yeah, we did. We, we did talk about it before, and I think I've I share that. Like, I'm much. I wouldn't call it squeamish, but like much more like, oh, that's that's intense. Like, that's I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. Like when you're like an edgy teenager and your brain hasn't finished developing and you don't have empathy or whatever yet, <laughs> you're kind of like, aha, <laughs> explosions and shit. But then, I, like I've, I think I said to you, even just playing video games and stuff, I just there's this constant mag. Not that it really affects affects me heavily right like i got it i must confess it, it's not like i've changed a ton about my life necessarily other than just i think about it more um, yeah you know i like i played call of duty last night uh, i'm gonna play it i'm gonna play it tonight probably <laughs> like it's not like I've, <laughs> but i just think about it and like i have the thoughts sometimes playing video games i'm like oh that goon he's he's probably got family he's got a wife and kids he's he's not really in it he, he's probably not evil this is just He's just yeah. as much a victim then you, as then I. You get double king. You're like, damn, I'm on a streak right now. This is pretty good. And then you keep playing. Ooh, I got my UAV. Okay. <laughs> get my kill streaks. Cool. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I don't know what society that says about and me. Or... <laughs> society. Yeah. I mean, maybe I guess I'd like to pretend that I'm slightly more enlightened because I do have a moment of of thought about this these things mm -hmm. sometimes. But you know, I, again, I still play like violent video games uh, and war games and shit. I'm not going to pretend like I I'm above it all. So I don't really know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but again, this movie made me think a lot. So yeah, same with me. It was good to thinking a lot. And uh, I will say, if I were to review it, I'd say one out of five stars. Nothing like Top Gun. Did not make me want yeah. to join the military. It wasn't, wasn't a lot of propaganda. There was no. no jets in it at all. I was like, I was really confused yeah. when we got to they, the end. And I was they didn't like, play volleyball. Yeah, there's no vo there was no fun sports scene. I mean, I would have accepted soccer because I understand they're they're all European and and the like, but like no, we need nothing, nothing, you know. Or they would call it kicking ballin because they're Germans. <laughs> Footin kicking ballin, scoring. Footin kicking ballin, say. Ooh, footin kicking ballin, scoring. I love that. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I guess that right. I guess we're on that part of the segment where we just do bits at each other. So I, we probably should yeah, act out of this into a so. not quite as upsetting but i'd say the most upsetting episode of any star wars thing i've ever watched uh, personally Probably. of andor episode nine because whole oh boy nobody's listening hey. yeah like our show yeah so wow <laughs> yeah that's that's very pointed tony go i didn't appreciate it yeah we knew we wrote about our we show what you were like, <laughs> We we see what you're doing, Tony. I don't. It's not very nice. Okay, 
There's a big, there's <laughs> a big Hollywood man. You don't need to come at a us. Little like podcast that, boys, come on geez. now. We like your stuff. Don't get on us now. So, Cassie's still uh, in prison, of absolutely. course. He's he's grinding that prison life. He's fallen into the routine, uh, so it seems. Um, clearly, he's he's working on getting out. He's he's hatching plans. He's plotting with other prisoners, which I think makes sense. Kind of could yeah. assume that's where his mind would go. Um, and so they're trying like, to they're trying to away find... that little thing. He's like trying to break stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to break stuff. They're they're noticing the patterns. They're trying to figure out the sort of the weak links in the system. Um, they realize that the elevator isn't electrified or whatever it is. Yeah, electrified, I guess. Um, that the guards who are up on that walkway there don't wear the fancy boots to prevent to protect themselves. So it's not really a concern and all that. I mean, they're trying to they're trying to devise something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, seems like Melshi's in on it to some extent or not i can't i can't get a read on where his mind his mindset is exactly here i don't i can't i don't know about his headspace you know yeah because he's almost like he almost seems uh just kind of resigned to it you know what i mean he's very because he's he's all like they're never letting us out pessimistic sort of thing but i can't tell if that's just him being like yeah uh just a forlorn side of sort of skeptic uh cynic or if he i don't know is he trying to get reactions out of other people yeah yeah um, but he seems at, at the very least somewhat sympathetic to Cassian's cause there. Mm-hmm. Gives him the look, right? Yeah, he's got that <laughs> he's got that other prisoner he's talking to who's did they say his name? He speaks, but I don't think they we get his I name. I don't yeah, I don't know. I don't know his name. Yeah, that other guy he's, yeah, he's one of them. from the He's on the yeah, same and, floor as Cassian, but Yeah. Different, uh, uh, and then on his table, another thing is the old guy, Ulif, I think his name is, is Ulof. uh kinda falling apart here. Ulaf, thank you. It's falling apart here. Uh he's kind of getting dementia a little bit and he can't keep it together and he's like i mean he's old he's an old guy so he's like just all the this bag this literal work camp is destroying him and they're trying to cover up for him cassian's kind of working with them trying to get to move faster to stay on track because obviously i think he knows that if they get shocked he'll just die like i don't think he could even survive that yeah and like they're they're doing quite well all things considered seemingly um you know, the inclusion of Cassian has made them one of the most, uh, one of the most like efficient oh, tables yeah. on the floor, which makes it all the kind of uh, more frustrating for the rest of them that Ulaf's kind of slipping because they're like, oh, come on, Ulaf, we could win. We could get flavor on our food for once. Don't yeah. you want taste you want in your food tube? It's <laughs> great. And then after this, when you first see that, when we're hatching all his plans and such, we, when they're changing out the shifts, they realize there's an issue. Something's wrong. Like they're taking a while to get going. There's like the their sign language communication they're using. There's there's seems to be something around this rumor. Something's going on on two. Nobody knows what's going on, and it's all kind of starting to panic. Uh, and then finally, like the Andy Circus character, like, whose name I can't remember, he's like, "Quiet down, shut the hell up. Your hand signals aren't doing anything, Kino. You don't know what's going on. Stop it." And they're like, "All right, fine, whatever." So they stop. Everyone's worrying about it. They go, and then that night, I think Cassian's like. Hey, like, what's going? What do you? What do you think's going on? Like, what? How many guards he's trying to like get information out of them? And he's like, "Hey, shut up! They're not listening. They're listening to us. No, they're not listening." That's what Cassian says later. But he's like, "They're not. They're going to listen to us." No. Shut up! I don't want to get in trouble. Like, I'm just trying to do my work to leave. I'm almost out. I'll get out like in less than a year. And Cassian's like, "They don't give a shit about you. Like, they don't care to listen. What? What good is it for them to listen? They don't care about they us. They don't have to." Again, playing into the thing he established in the first episode. Like, they're so uh, they think they're so above us. That they don't even have to. They don't have weapons. Even they just rely on everything to 
everyone can kind of put themselves in their own formations. Like it's not an imperial guy who's running the floor. It's you, another prisoner. Like they're just using you. They're using the people they capture to police themselves, which obviously is very sinister. Uh, and then it comes mm-hmm. to light that something happened on two, but no one really knows well, I just wanna... what's true or what's happening. So it's that moment in the yeah. thing, obviously, where he's trying to get Kino to help. You kind of touched on, but he's like, he's like, Kino, tell me, how, right. you've been here for a long time. How, how many guards are there? Like he's he's wanting to get these tidbits out of him. Kino's like, you got to give up on all that. You'll never get out if you if you're just occupied with escape. If you just keep your head down, do the work, maybe you'll get out. But leave it, right? Um, don't. Yeah, you can't mm-hmm. you can't have these grand dreams of escape or that that's that's how you'll never never get out kind of thing. Um, which is interesting from Kino's, you know, as a character. The, the way he's progressing. I mean, we said last week he's pretty despicable, right? As a guy, like the the fact that he's seemingly so so willingly participating in the whole system here, right? That like it's that classic mm-hmm. sort of thing where he got a a bit of his own sort of power, and he he you know like clung right to it, right? Of like, oh sure, I'll be an asshole to all my fellow prisoners yeah, who are just as much victims as I am, um, because mm-hmm. it makes my my life a little easier. But I'm a little bit ahead. Yeah, it's yeah. a classic sort of thing that middle management see. syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Worked, so I've probably hundreds of people who've worked any kind of fast food job where their manager is just some guy who just makes their schedule, but he lords over them like they're like serfs in Russia. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, yeah, they have. The, there's just again, like you said, there's this disturbance and and something weird's going on. There's all these rumors. And there's this moment where the lights, the lights flash, and something's going on with the power, which is a bit curious. And as the rumors all mm-hmm. circulate and work their way up, um, the the story that gets back to them is that on floor two, uh, somebody was released out of a room on a different floor and ended up on on the same floor or on a different floor. Like basically, they took this guy who was supposed to get out, and then they just instead of actually letting him go. They just put him on a different floor and set him right back I thought, to work. I thought they. I don't uh, think they know that to the end, though. Don't they not know that no, to it's the like end? Middle. Oh wait, is that? What oh, I thought. Saying? I thought. I'm the sorry. Doc- you're right. You're right. I, th- I thought the doctor tells. Them you're right. It's piece by piece. They learn. They don't learn why. You're right. But they. The rumor right. that gets back to them is that an entire, an entire room was fried. Like every single, all fifty guys in one of the rooms were killed mm-hmm. at once, and that's, that's when Kino kind of breaks down a little bit. And it's like, you know what? Well, I'll just, you don't know. It's just a rumor. Okay. We don't actually know. All right. Just keep your head down and do the work and we'll be fine. Okay. It's not, yeah. let's not I, worry I think, about it. I right? think this part really like helps move Kino away from that, like, um, makes him humanize him more. That shows like, oh, oh, like I gotta like, maybe he's trying to, like, obviously he doesn't, he doesn't want to die. But I like to think that in that moment, he's like, all right, well, I can protect me and probably the rest of these guys mm-hmm. from dying. Like, he doesn't probably hate any of them. He's like, all right. I don't want these people to die. Like I, I do see them all the time. So like, let's just, let's keep everybody under control for everyone's benefit. Like let's, let's stay safe at the very most. He did. De- you definitely see this. And then obviously gets further humanized towards. You see the cracks start to form in, in his sort of like his persona mm-hmm. here of, I'm just the gruff foreman guy who doesn't care about anything. And, and you guys are all, yeah, I'm just in charge of all of you. He starts to has his own sort of doubts about it all clearly. And Andy Circus, you've got to say, is he's turning out a great performance. Oh, absolutely, generally, absolutely is. And he didn't have to be—he didn't have to be a big CGI monster or a small CGI monster at the time. He's just a person. He didn't have to be an ape or a Sith or a weird Hobbit possessed by no. an evil ring. He's just a man. Just a guy. He's just a middle manager. The worst—the worst evil of all. 
a more horrifying the role than I don't think even Snook than would any be. other he's portrayed thus far. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so then I think the next thing with Cassian's plot, because I think yeah, it's course. undercut with the other two or so plots in this episode, but we'll 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 do one at a time. Um, uh, Olaf like loses it, like he just kind of has a stroke. And they're like, get a medical team during the shift change. Like, we need someone to help. And Cassian and Kino stay behind to, like, you know, see if he's all right and, like, move him around if they need to. So the doctor shows up, who's, again, a prisoner. But he's wearing blue and not orange. Um, so he's working on him. And he's like, yeah, he had a stroke. Uh, we're going to put him down like a, like a dog. And they're like, huh? And they're like, yeah, he's dead. I'm like, uh, yeah. And so he's like, give me a body bag. So the guard leaves. He's like putting him down, giving him the, uh, like um, not an anesthetic. I don't know what you'd call something that kills you, but something to peacefully like make him pass away, make his heart stop. Yeah, uh, euthanize him. So he euthanizes him. And, and this is when it's revealed, as you said earlier, that the doctor reveals that like, yeah, what happened on two is that a guy on four got his all his shifts ran out, and instead of taking him back to his home, they just rotated him into a lower floor. And then everybody found, and then they found out on two, and they all freaked out because you would. And so they just nuked them all real quick before they could like spread that. And then, you know, that's oh, yeah. pretty horrifying, just as the viewer, I'll say, but to like, it shakes Cassian and Kino up. And then as they leave, when they collect his body, uh, Kino, Kino reveals how many, like, it starts to help Andor because now, now, now he's fully on Andor's side where it's like, like, you're never leaving, like, they're never going to let you go. They have you. They're there forever. Like they're gonna work you to death. Like Olaf got it good because he gets to die and like leave peace. He gets to die peacefully and not like with his broken body. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I mean, I don't think we'll get much more like specific detail on this, but it's it's weird to me how like this seems like a pretty big mistake to make on the part of the Empire. Just because like it doesn't seem worth it didn't seem worth it, right? Right. Yeah. I'm not sure I fully understand what went wrong there. Because I don't unless do you think the implication there is that this has been going on mm -hmm. for a long time and everyone gets rotated through because if that was the case, how did they not, how did uh, they not found out? You know what I mean? I, I, I think it, it was a result thing. of the new, uh, I think, I think this is yeah. with the, like the new, yeah, like, that new PR or whatever it's yeah, called. Could, I th the poor I thing. Or... Think maybe that's it as well. But I just, mm -hmm. I don't see how they could hope to keep that secret. Right. Cause yeah, he would because, get like, there and immediately be like, Hey, I was supposed, they were supposed to let me home. <laughs> And they shoved me down on this floor instead. I mean, they say it's an act. He says it's some kind of mistake. I'm just, I'm curious as to like what, what the nature specifically of that mistake was. Because yeah. I don't. Maybe they didn't move him far enough. Like there, there might be like a, there's certain thing like they take him somewhere else or they like make some shenanigans and they just didn't do it this time. And they really slipped up and they're like, oh, it's got to nuke it all. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what what's really wrong. Like, he's, yeah, is it when they did it too quickly? They put like because they could. I don't know. They could probably. Obviously, we know we've seen they can orchestrate. They can you know fabricate whatever reason they want for sending someone to these prisons, basically. But maybe it was just a step too far to to literally have him show up the next day within the same facility. Like they didn't even you know let him out kind of thing. I'm not totally sure. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's it's interesting and. Yeah, the the doctor confirms to them basically that no one is is actually going to get out now. Whether as a result of that, yeah, that act that they passed, or as a result of this event, now they won't they won't do it again. Like now that this could, you know, now that it's kind of gotten out of the bag once, they're not gonna 
they're not going to attempt fate again and they're just going to leave everyone locked up forever. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's really Oof. grim. Um so dark. And obviously, you know, I it's something I don't think I necessarily actually picked up on immediately um until I read someone mentioned it on Twitter, but earlier on the the brief power outage we see is likely a result of them doing so much at once. Yeah. Diverting hit so them much all at once towards that at the same time, which is really oh, quite absolutely. Grim. Just awful. And uh, a couple more things about this one. Um, again, this is it's just how this show, like I feel like I say this every week, but I, I honestly feel like it's worth doing because it's, it really is good. Is that this show doesn't necessarily, it's not again, adult just because it's got like violence. Like we don't see any of those guys die. Right. It's not shown on screen, but the ideas here are pretty, yeah. Are, you know, are pretty heavy, which I think is again just just the nature of this show. It's so good. It's like it's not adult because there's a bunch of sex or violence that's explicitly shown, but the ideas about it are more heavy in a way that requires a little bit a little bit more like reflection. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I understand. The same thing with like um even just like euthanasia, right? I mean, that's kind of a heavy concept for a Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, really, really good stuff. Um, and then the final line here of the episode, it's, it's of the sequence in the whole episode, is Cassian asks again how many guards are on each floor, and Kino tells him never more than 12. And uh, there's been a lot said about this line this week. That that was the kind of the discourse piece that I wanted to bring in um, for this topic this week, is uh, is the final line here. So a lot of people were really big on it. They really liked it. And, and tons of memes about how, like, you know, kind of as memes are wont to do sort of overplaying just a little bit for comedic effect how how big this was people were comparing it to like Endgame. um i saw someone do the meme <laughs> where you, they got goosebumps someone did the meme where you know the one where they're watching football or whatever soccer in like a bar and everyone freaks out because there's like a goal or something you know on the tv and so you can edit in yeah, yeah, yeah. On the TV. so they edited in this this scene on the tv and everyone everyone in the bar freaks out because he says never more than 12 um, it spawned a lot of discourse and then a lot of counter discourse because a lot of people are like, this scene, so, this is such a good line, such an amazing, you know, impact on me. Um, first off, how, how did you, how did you like it? Did you, uh, did you feel thought, that way? Uh, I thought it was cool. I didn't like, like, I don't of know, course, piss myself watching it. Uh, but I, I mean, it's definitely it like a, a reaction, yeah. a visceral sound of like, cool. oh shit, it's, it's on now, it's... right? Like, that's kind of the reaction I had is like, well, now it's. Now it's going. It's a, it's yeah, in motion, yeah. right? If he's on board, that means we can well and truly we can we can get this prison break a moving because that's where we're going, right? I mean, we're gonna. Oh, absolutely! The third episode of this arc. Okay. Come on. So we're doing a prison break. That'll be fun. And and Kino's on board, which is cool. Um, but it's it spawned a little bit of meta discussion. Um, because of those people who are like, I don't get it. What's the big deal? This isn't even like a reference. Um, and so it's spawned. It's has people being like, something isn't good because it's a reference. Like not every line in a thing that's impactful has to be because it's a an Easter egg or a, somehow calling back to a previous property of some kind. This is just a good line because of the context yeah. of this show, totally contained within this narrative. This was, you know, it was impactful for the story. It it you know has lots of implications going forward. It was impactful for this this guy's character and all that. It didn't you know it didn't have to be any kind of anything else really. So mm. just something. Yeah, something I agree. About. Yeah. Sometimes it gets too much like ooh, everything everything references. Like, no, sometimes think because like lines that become references have are just not not everything's a reference because the things people reference weren't references when they came out. Exactly. Because they were just the thing. 
precisely right like yeah it's it's good and it's in within a vacuum here not because of anything else yeah and i and the uh the rest of the episode will be into the rest of the episode what i'm saying jack is i'm gonna get a uh there were never more than 12 tattoo and i expect you to as well before next week in, in solidarity so, Ooh, before next yeah. week i'll see what i can do what i can muster up you know as as the most impactful line of anything of I've course ever seen. and for the memes it's <laughs> mostly for the memes you know it's what we're gonna do and to stick it to the haters you know flexing those haters yeah i i get it i get it i'm picking up what you're putting down so the rest of this episode uh i don't the scenes aren't nearly as long um but you know they're all still important they're all good so as we saw last week dedra has bix on on uh Ferrix there and um yeah this is a crazy scene to me actually i thought this was also really really good and it really and very upsetting quite a like fascinating piece of lore and very very on brand for everything so bix isn't isn't cooperating she doesn't want to talk because she's you know she's ride or die like that she's a real one so she's not she's not trying to give up cassian necessarily so they're like all right we're gonna i know just the thing here we've got this creepy doctor man so we have doctor what's he Karn or something, Corn. They all have the same names in this. Yeah, Doctor Skeev. What's he called? Something, something gross. <laughs> um, yeah, but he's remember. there. They've got cool. this this creepy looking professor guy, and what he's got is is a, this little story. So he tells a story about um, this planet that the Empire was trying to pacify, and the the local um, population was getting they were resisting, and so um, the Empire just slaughtered them all, um, which is no good yeah something they're known to do though and uh they noticed that uh the basically the screams from this this population as they all died um had like a visceral effect on on people on humans in particular i guess um because the communications officers who were present there basically went insane right yeah non-responsive and such being the you know the worst human beings you can you can conceive of they're like i know we'll we'll weaponize it dr gorst that's his name um we'll weaponize this and they they noticed that they found a particular track uh they they were able to isolate a particular section of it that they believe is uh the children screaming as they die and that has a particularly horrible effect that they use to uh to torture you with if they if they play it into a pair of headphones that they make you wear so you know, well, uh, yeah, like, very yeah. literally, man-made uh, horrors beyond comprehension. Like, oh, holy, just good God! And it's real heavy. It's a lot. Like every, it's a lot. Every sentence he spoke just got worse. And again, it's like we don't see this, right? It's just a man describing a thing to us, but there's still a lot of like weight to it, which I appreciate. And it's just, it feels very Empire, I must say. And it's not, it's not very subtle, is it? As least subtle as it can be, just very like I don't know. I was like, guys, they're evil. I think that's mostly on brand, no. Yeah, absolutely. As I was going to say, it feels pretty George Lucasy to be like, yeah, the evil empire is literally weaponizing the the you know death death cries of of the species they oppress. And I'm like, yeah, that's so all checks out. All yes, horrible <laughs> horrors beyond human comprehension. Ah, understandable. Have a nice day. <laughs> Unfortunately, that that's enough to get to her, um, and she reveals most of what she knows, right? Which isn't a whole ton. Uh, she she does tell them that he came back and and met with his mother. So now she's on their radar, which is which is unfortunate. But what are you gonna do? Um, and they also the ISB have caught on to the other thing that the the operation that we learned about last week or was it was it two weeks ago? Um, I don't know. I don't I don't remember. Yeah, it was, it was last week when he meets with with when uh, Luthen meets with Sagarera. Um, and he learns that they're 
he tries to get Sagrer in on this operation right, okay, to yeah. uh, plan this attack on Spellhouse, which is a planet, presumably. Um, again, we hear about last week. And the ISB have captured a pilot who was working for one of the other rebel groups that we learned about last week, which was, was it Krieger? I think. Anto Krieger. Uh, that sounds right. One. I think. There's the other one they mentioned. Yes. Again this week. Sounds, th- Taya something or another. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so we, they, they catch on and they use all their, their intelligence spycraft type work, right. To cover their tracks. And they're going to, they've, they've captured him, but they don't want to let him go. Cause they don't want to, you know, they don't want to know, but they also know that if they keep him, then they will they will catch wind of this and it'll scare them off. But they want the operation to go through so they can trace it back again to um, to the head, who they have now aimed. Did we did we talk about this last week, right? They did Axis. Um, they they're tracking on to Luthen here, so it's all connected, and I think they can use this. Um, and so that's their plan moving forward is they're going to kind of use this guy's. Now that they have the trail of it, they're going to kind of trace him back. They're going to fabricate his death in such a way that it looks like an accident. And so they are not so suspicious that they still go forward with the mission and they can they can follow him from there. Um, and then the other sort of subplot to this is, mm-hmm. uh, is what's his name there? The most pathetic man on the planet, Cyril Karn. Cyril Karn. Um, he's eating more cereal. What a... F- oh, my God. He only gets worse. Um, his mom's still kind of nagging. Um, but then he's like, I got a promotion at my horrible, useless desk job. Aren't you proud of me, mom? And she's like, yeah, actually, yeah. And she goes from like berating him to being like, oh, that's wonderful. Uncle Hollow will be so proud of you. And he's like, I fucking hate you. And then he starts stalking. <laughs> stalking Dedramira, uh, which is you know, quite the <laughs> development for him. So he's like, thanks so much for my promotion. And she's like, I just told him you didn't suck. Right. I didn't really tell him to give you a promotion. But sure, don't don't do this what do you <laughs> do not stalk me like what yeah what is this she even she's got a great line or the great exchange and she's like i loved our conversation she's like i brought you in for questioning when you what conversation what are you talking about you, you insane you well? man like even the empire person's like you're you're kind of nuts dude and he is at least the read i get on is that she's like even she is so like taken aback and and surprised by this that she doesn't even quite know how to react like she's more just shocked than anything because she's, you know, she has that line where she's like, you know, I could arrest you for this, but he, she doesn't. She almost just doesn't. It seems like she doesn't know what to do. She's just kind of, yeah. She she herself seems quite freaked out by it. Where she's yeah. just like, I, just I don't know, just leave. I don't I don't like this. <laughs> like you waiting out here? And he's like, oh yeah, for, for <laughs> this days. is terrible. I've been, I've been trying for days to to meet you. It's like what what the hell, man? <laughs> so with each passing week here, the uh, our our idea of them like teaming up together seems. A little bit more distant. Yeah, and maybe for the best. It's weird to root for the awful eyes. People wouldn't be like, yeah, get away from that creepy guy. I saw a quote from her this week. The Oh, here it is. Um, So her name is um Denise Gove? Goo? I don't know. Denise Gove? I don't know. Whatever. The the actor who plays... Um, something. Dedra Denise something. Um, she said, Tony wrote the first scenes for us to cheer for Dedra, but in the end, you just don't do it anymore. She's not just a woman in a men's world, but a fascist in a world of fascists. It was important to see that power corrodes women as much as men. Which I think is, yeah, it's really good. It's really, that's that's kind of the, the very interesting nature of her character that we've been talking about since her introduction is that at first you are like, yeah, get him, Dedra. Screw those other Imperials. But you're like, wait a minute. She's also just an Imperial. She's not really an outsider. Yeah, you're, trying to be, you're, trying, you're trying to be a better Imperial than the other guys. Because we don't like Imperials. I don't. Not a fan. Certainly, <laughs> I do not either. So yeah, because I do think, I have seen some people who seem to go a little bit too far in there in their support of her character to be like, well, you, 
just tone it back a little, guys. You do got to remember, she's she's not the good guy. We don't want her to win. Again, she's trying to stop Cassian and them this whole season. Like, that's her goal is to is to beat our heroes. So she's important to keep in mind. But again, that's just, you know, testament to the, the way they're crafting the story here that it is that is sort of believable, right? Absolutely. Um, that's it's mostly the extent of that plot, right? Yeah, that's, that's again, uh, besides the cash ones, these don't get too deep. And the final one is with Mon Mothma, right? She's the last um, one. Take Holma again. And he's like, I'm having trouble moving the funds as well. It's tough. Um, and he recommends this individual who they're both aware of, who appears to be some kind of he's some kind of career criminal on Chandrila, right? And he's like, maybe we could work with that guy to help you out of here. And she's like, I yeah. don't know. That's criminal. Let's see. Then we're are we any better than them? Um. So that's that's the the moral dilemma she's going to have to wrestle with going forward. Here, she's in the Senate. She's trying to. Uh, argue against these this overreach and this uh you know the the excess that's going on here in in terms of the the spying and the invasion of people's liberties right and uh, once again doesn't doesn't seem all too mm. receptive people don't really care no no one seems to give a shit tough for her again and this just goes to show though i think these scenes are important because they they show us like why she feels the need to to do to go about things the way that she does right is that the 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 actual official channels are just unfunctional, right? even though the 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 Senate still mm. exists at this point, and the and, you know the facade of it all remains. No one really, no one really seems to care or listen, and it doesn't actually seem like she's able to get anything done. Um, and then we get a bit of a revelation for her character, right? Oh, that Vel is her sister, right? That's right. A cousin. Yeah, so Vel is her cousin. Um. Which is interesting. It's certainly a fun detail for her character that um, she comes from the same rich, you know, um, prestigious dynasty as Mon Mothma here, and that she had a nice cushy upbringing, which is cool. I mean, that's that's an interesting detail for her character. You always got to appreciate that a character who's like, even though she did have things easy and she could just as easily prosper and and you know have a good time under the this regime, um, she's she's chosen to do something, which is sweet. Um, and so mom's kind of worried about her because she hasn't heard from well. Obviously, she was doing the whole the uh, Aldani job and they're all they're, it's all mission. It's so, you know, cloak and dagger and clandestine enough that even Vel won't even tell her exactly what it is she's gotten up to. Um, and mom tries to convince her to like lay low for, for at least some some amount of time to uh to try to, you know, keep a little heat off or just, yeah, just go live the the life of the spoiled rich girl for a while to uh stay out of the uh, out of suspicion and even it it's it's clearly effective this facade that she has right um because even like it's it's obviously very funny for that is effective when Perrin is like oh well you've you, at least you haven't gotten political you know as he talks to the literal like violent revolutionary mm -hmm. right uh that's fun yeah um i suppose the other little detail there is uh in, in her subplot is that what's her daughter's name lita Lita and Perrin on some level are are suspicious of her yeah, and Take Homo's relationship there, which is uh yeah I think they're like something something going on there. Perrin doesn't seem overly bothered by it though, does he? You know, would you agree? Like he doesn't seem like no, not really. Yeah, overly scandalized or anything. But he's just kind of like, oh, you've got a bit of a would you got a bit of an affair going on there? Ha oh, ha, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so the safety of our marriage. I, I mean, uh. He'd have to, even though he's kind of a goober, he'd have to be a real idiot, I guess, to not kind of 
see that their marriage isn't the strongest. So he probably just like, whatever. For all we know, he's got his own stuff going on, you know. <laughs> I mean, knowing so this fucking guy, he's, he definitely he's kind does. of indifferent about that that side of things. Uh yeah, a lot of people have put forth the theory since since um Colmo arrived a couple episodes ago that maybe she was kind of he was kind of uh her first love yeah, back when they were they were younger and that she's only ended up with Perrin because of like political reasonings and stuff, which seems to be the case. Yeah, I mean, music. I, whether it's just traditional Set. on their planet generally or for like some kind of, you know, the upper aristocracy or whatever you'd call it, it it does seem like everyone was kind of resigned to the idea that you get married when you're like 16 or whatever. Because <laughs> uh, he does have that comment about mm-hmm. Valley. He's like, yeah, yeah. we're going to get married. So you're so old and, and haggard. How could anyone love you? <laughs> and you're like, Jesus Christ, dude. You're a hag, essentially. An old maid like you gotta you stay fertile. Would want like... a, a spinster such as yourself, Val. It's like you're the you're just the worst, huh, parent? You really you you really do suck. Yeah, it, you can't just be nice for once, for one minute, please. You suck. Uh, but yeah, it's kind. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> like uh, that's how it was in medieval times, right? Like everyone has this perception that like, oh, in medieval times you, you got married when you were six because that's what everyone did. But really, it was just like it was just nobility and and people who had something to gain from from arranged political marriages like that. Yeah. Normal peasant people, house of the dragon, type yeah, house shit. of the dragon type shit. Yeah, no one cares who stands to inherit Farmer Jeb's plot. Who yeah, gives Farmer Jeb's shit. plot exactly? <laughs> At the end of the day, the crop. The crap still got to get made, and you know we got to still till the wheat and all that. Like, I mean, who fucking cares? As long as somebody's doing it, like, does it really exactly. matter? So, uh, this this should be an interesting development for her, though, if she goes through with meeting with this criminal kind of thing. So, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in the fandom about Mon Mothma and her methods, and and Sagarera and his, and kind of their, you know, being the the two sides of that coin, and is Mon Mothma too uptight, and and all this, and there's. There's been a ton of it. I've I, we haven't brought it up a ton yet on the show just because we haven't seen very much of Sagarera, but you know people have very strong opinions about him and and how he fits into the overall sort of patchwork of the alliance and stuff. Um, but it should be interesting to see her have to kind of step out of her comfort zone in that sense. I think that's that's cool for her and it's probably good for her as her character development and stuff to have to address that of like sometimes you, you gotta uh, get your hands dirty, you know, break a couple eggs to make an omelet. Exactly. So. She'll meet with whoever this this uh, criminal type character is. I think so. Do we? Do you got any big calls for the oh, prison break um, next week? Any? I think that Kino has a good chance of dying because that's kind of how that goes. He has to like be punished. Could be. Could be. Like he'll redeem, but he'll have to sacrifice himself in the end. Um, or maybe he'll escape. I don't know. Uh, it'd be nice if they escaped. Obviously, the guy who's in Rogue One, Melshi, is going to be obviously escape with him. Uh, yeah. Melshi, but those uh, are only two. I also think that their escape is going to just make everything worse. And obviously, this is going to be like Cassie, be like, no, no, I got to, I got to call Belushi. I think he's going to call Belushi again after the end of this episode when he escapes. He's going to be like, all right, I think let's so. do this. Yeah, I think, like, all right, I'm on your team. Commit to the cause. Or maybe, I mean, it's still, I still could see it as being a finale thing. I, you know, he breaks out and then we have the last two episodes. I think there could be a thing of like everyone converges. We have all the plots come together because Cassian wants to get his, you know, Bix and or his mother or whatever. Uh, Luthen and them are looking for Cassian. Dedra is looking for Cassian, right? And it all comes to a head. And then, you know, with the finale here is when he he fully commits to the cause. Could it, it could even be something bad, like Bix and mm. or his mother die or something is the is the very final push he needs. So, something to that effect to really set him on the right course here. 
Because again, we've been saying this whole, that's what this whole season is. It's kind of all these tiny little things adding up of like pushing him, you know, prodding him slightly along the path until he, he fully doubles down and becomes someone who genuinely believes in it all. Mm, he still hasn't read the book. Disappointed. I thought for sure he'd have some free time in this prison to be reading. Yeah, true. I'm sure the book, books in the work prison. <laughs> I, I mean, I had no, I had no way of knowing, Jack. I didn't realize quite how horrible Ooh, this. I thought prison was gonna be fun. Be, you you know? get catch up on your reading. Well, I mean, there go my plans. I got to make some call about this. Even in horrible like American prisons, you do still get to read. I think I'm pretty that's sure that's true. one of the few few pleasures allowed. This here. isn't American prison. This is space Nazi prison. I'm like you're reading in Nazi prison. I kind of agree. I think that I think either Kath Kino dies or Kino lives and gets to be a rebel too. Those are my those are my guesses. Yeah, those are pretty Although good predictions. I'd probably just die because. Andy Serkis probably wouldn't want to have to come back for all kind of nonsense. No, he, he, or, or, or he'll become Snow. Yeah, that's you know very probable as I well. I think he's going to become Snow. I think that's a very, very likely possibility <laughs> that Kino is actually Snoke. Yeah. It's been too much on it. This has broken him. He's seen that the... Because, I mean, you remember Snoke. He wasn't a big fan of the Empire. He was like, those guys suck too, right? That's what... So that's yeah, be his thing. He's like, oh, I got to burn it all down. He's just, he's just like a, he just becomes an anarchist type guy. Maybe Jack. I think very likely yeah, they are, a... in fact, the same actor, and so I can't hey, conceive a world where they're not the same character. That is, <laughs> I I don't have room in my brain for that. <laughs> my brain will allow for it. Okay, with that, I think we can Agatech out into uh, Tales of the Jedi, the new six episode kind of little featurette, mm-hmm. bunch of shorts from for the Clone yeah. Wars. Uh, well, actually, pre Clone nope. Wars. And which is some, pretty crazy and kind of wild to see as well, actually, if you can believe it. And then po- a, a little Pre-clone bit of post Clone Wars, during Clone Wars, and post Clone Wars, which in a lot of ways is is every Star Wars era. Yeah, pre Clone Wars can still get you pregnant, <laughs> so be careful out there. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so these are broken up. They've kind of focused on two characters. Uh, three episodes kind of focus on Dooku. Uh, and three episodes kind of focus on Ahsoka. And so it's like uh, good episodes all along. I enjoyed them all. Me too. I had a lot of fun uh, with this. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize a lot of fun. how long Count Dooku was a, a Jedi. Like how closely. Like that he's a Jedi during the Phantom Menace. I never knew that. I probably should have because how else would he have so, known about Obi-Wan? A couple points on that. Still. So do you remember I talked to you about this at one point? We didn't do it on the show because I didn't want to talk about leaks on the show just because it didn't feel substantial enough but you remember i described to you that there was certain like leaks that came out about this that seemed to suggest a bit of retconning that people weren't happy about yes i do remember where he show up at the funeral so that didn't appear to happen so i don't know where that came from that was just a lie it seems um but yes we we did get details about the idea that uh that this is when it would take place um around basically concurrently with the phantom menace um and i had my own problems with that again i didn't want to talk about rumors just in case it didn't turn out to be true which it kind of didn't but i i personally didn't love that idea either because it contradicted some stuff and that's a big controversy with with a number of these episodes that we can get to um but i believe the intention here it's not super clear um but i i believe the idea is that he actually is no longer a jedi at that point Hmm. But he's just friendly okay. enough with them and everything that they oh, allow okay, him. Okay, I see. Um, it's the best I got, basically. You know, overall, he did. <laughs> they did part on good terms. He wasn't cast out or anything. Um, that's why he's one of the lost twenty, if you if you recall that idea from the Phantom Menace. Or sorry, 
attack the clones. Um, he's one of the last 20. He he wasn't cast out for being evil or, or anything. He left voluntarily of his own free will. And they were like, yeah, that's a thing you're allowed to do. Um, he's like, I got to focus on on being count of my planet and all. That's what's more important to me and all. They're like, sick. Good on you, Dooku. You're, you know, we'll still be, you're, you're all right. You're not so bad kind of guy. So I believe the intention with that yeah. episode, again, I, I feel like it could have been shown a little better, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think they could have done a little better because I wasn't really clear on it. I was like, oh, he's yeah. hanging around, but he's got his lightsaber Frankly, still. Frankly, that's like, the only way that it kind of you know, works. Okay. Um, Plot-wise, so whether that's just a little, whether I'm just on on a bit of copium right now or not, I don't know. But <laughs> I, I think it's easy enough to believe, and it it maintains continuity. So that's what we'll go with for now. Uh, but yeah, I sounds good to I, me. I liked all these. I guess I I must say I think about the one I liked the least was the very first one with Baby Ahsoka. Um, I think that one's fine, uh, but it's not not as interesting yeah. to me i mean it's very it's kind of simplistic right ahsoka's a baby she doesn't say much and she's hanging out with a big cat thing which also doesn't say much so it's a little bit it's a little Cats bit light do <laughs> trying to get mine to say something exactly so it's a bit light on like you know plot and and whatnot mm-hmm. but it's cool to see her family yeah right I, her uh, mother and her, her father that and old that grandma with her weird little dog things that look <laughs> like they're plushies <laughs> The little, the, weird. Uh, yeah, they looked kind of like loth cats, but they were, yeah, they did seem to be dogs more so, which is kind of fun. It's that yeah. one that they pop up everywhere. That's what Star Wars cats just look like. Oh, <laughs> they're in like the Mandalorian. They they're in Rebels hmm. and stuff. Yeah, they're cute. They're fun little adorable things. Uh, it's cool to see her break out her Jedi powers. Um, and then uh, it's not really to say about this one, honestly. She just like tames a beast, takes her back. I think a more substantial one would have been. Is uh, the other two, I guess, where the practice makes perfect and resolve. I love these. Really, I love the other five, to be honest. Yeah, I, um, I would say so too. The, again, they, I, would, the first, I would agree. This first one, I was like, are they all gonna kind of be like this? But then this, and then the Dooku ones happen. I was like, oh, okay, no, I'm I'm on board. This is totally this is interesting. Agree. Um, but uh, one thing I love. Well, let's just keep this Ahsoka train going. Then so we talk about the first, second one. Had the goat Plo Koon in it. Yeah, there he is. Back, back in all his glory, sitting, sitting quietly and saying no lie. I gotta say, I'm kind of surprised they didn't use uh, this opportunity to do the plot of the the story of, of Plo Koon finding Ahsoka. I'm yeah, that's I was waiting for that. I was like, is he gonna show up? And then he didn't. I was like, oh, yeah. Where's the boy? Yeah. Kid Fisto didn't show up either. I was like, where's Kid Fisto? He's gonna show up. There's Clone Wars stuff. It was this planned episode they had for the Clone Wars that would show how how Plo Koon brought Ahsoka into the order, where there would be this like beautiful ethereal. Um, alien woman character who would come and be like Ahsoka I'm gonna come take you to the to the Jedi it's gonna be sick and all the villagers are like cool you seem sweet you seem very nice I guess take our daughter to go join the Jedi yes very good and then Plo Koon would show up and he's kind of scary looking because he's a big alien monster man with like weird mandible mask thing. things he's born mad and they'd be like you're you're scary I don't know you don't seem right but of course the the reveal would be that the alien lady was was like a bounty hunter who was after her for nefarious reasons, and Plo Koon really was a Jedi. It's you know, it's it would be about not to judge a pe- people based on, on appearances and things, which is good, good, nice, nice matches for the kiddos, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. They just did an episode about her fight, uh, making friends with a cat or whatever instead, which is fine, but <laughs> not as cool, <laughs> no. not nearly as much Plo Koon. No. Come, I mean, on. come on, give him to me. He's the best. But what can you do? Uh, in this in that episode, she's doing some training with like a little. Simulation with robots, training remotes, like bat, simulate battle droid lasers. Is is the guy from Rebels in that scene? Yes, 
that is that is little Kanan. Okay, because I saw him and his mask. Very good spot. So I was like, I think that's that guy from Rebels. Yes. That is, right, is Kanan right. and Depa Balaba. Although at that point he's not Kanan Jarus because that's his assumed name. He's he's just Caleb Perfect. Dune. Yes, I got I got Easter egg. Yeah, you did. Finally. Excellent work, John. Oh, You've never even seen Rebels. I know. Good. I never have to. Then this proves I never have to. I saw one guy, like the main character, as a kid in a, just a moment of shot. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but Anakin, of course, is being all edgy and he hates the Jedi. He's like, this test sucks. It's terrible. It's awful. It doesn't teach you anything. Come with me. I'll teach you how to do it. Dumbass student of mine. And so he just has all the clones. We saw our boy Rex, of course, the goat, uh, again. And they just practice with the um, stun lasers, the stun beams. And they uh, they practice a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They just surround her and he's like, all right, you actually, mm-hmm. this isn't like a pattern or anything that you can just kind of like memorize is a real test because you have to like sense which one of them's going to shoot first and you have to go based off of that and yeah they just they just repeat it over and over again and she just keeps getting stunned a lot she gets back up and they gets back on the horse and they do it again um that's really cool and it's this nice moment where he that's at one point of course as a story like this is is want to do she gets frustrated she's like this is dumb this is excessive the droids are not as good as this why why are you making me do this and he's like it's the point if you're good enough to do this then you'll be good enough to take any take on any droids um and he's he they have this nice heart moment where he's like so you're my padawan i'm responsible for you i don't want anything bad to happen to you um and i can't always be there to protect you so the best way i can do this is make sure that you are able to protect yourself and she's like you know what that's that is relatively sound let's let's run it again um and then we see a little they do a little time skip to to when she's a bit older later on in the clone wars and they do it again and then uh it skips to the the very end the end of the clone wars with order 66 and uh, he's like, all right, let's see if this pays off. And we get, you know, the lead into the scene from uh, from Victory and Death there. Tying it together. I don't know if you recall when she's init- when the Order 66 initially happens and um, they they open up on her. It's basically that exact scenario. Um, I don't know if you remember. Oh, but they're yeah. All they're all, the she's, she's up. Yeah. And then she jumps up onto yeah. it and she jumps on. And yeah. Sure so they have her in that exact kind of kill kill box and she's able to get out of it because of this training clearly which is obviously like this is a you know retroactive of course because this this came out after those episodes mm-hmm. but still oh. very fun another another thing i just thought of is uh when anakin's like oh well, if i can't be around i have to protect you you have to protect yourself and the thing she's protecting against is something that he's directly responsible for like he's part of that now like so i, I think that's a fun little Poetic. It's a bit sad, isn't it? Is that a bit poetic? I don't know what poetry is. We're really struggling with this week, but there's something there's something to that, okay? <laughs> there's something there. There's some idea here. We there. just can't put our finger on this. My, my AP Lit teacher would be able to tell you, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> is that dramatic irony? Maybe. I think it I is, No, The dramatic irony is us knowing something. Oh, may, oh actually, maybe it would be. I think it might be. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, really good. I must say, maybe the thing I no, enjoyed I about all of these is actually that they are so kind of short um these are all like yeah they're they're not even you know 22 sort of minute broadcast length episode right they are uh they're real real brief they're like more like um 15 minutes even and oh yeah it's nice and quick and short like it gets gets the point so just i can appreciate a big long movie and and stuff at times i also think that stuff like this when well done is is almost more satisfying just how how sort of dense and jam-packed as a just like quick 15 minutes got everything you need told a complete little wrapped up narrative and it's really good um i also gotta say 
once again the animation this oh, is absolutely. really good um the thing that stood out to me the most with this one i was just gonna say the movement the way they the way they all move seems very sort of realistic and fluid especially that ahsoka episode practice mm -hmm. makes perfect in particular i was like look at her go my goodness because like the textures are pretty much the same i don't think those have improved vastly because it's all the same you know um clone wars bad batch animation style um so that i don't think has yeah. improved by leaps and bounds although it's very it was very cool to see the that the scene where they're all in their their season one and two of the clone wars outfits right but obviously now you know about 10 years on um seeing seeing them do that in in the current sort of progression of it um i do think that's kind of interesting mm -hmm. that's fun those those look very crisp i don't know if you noticed but obi-wan has like his mullet he's like episode two yes mullet. i did notice that very nice i love that that was I good do i like that. very much love that look for the jedi in the clone wars the, the armored up sort of like van braces and, and mm -hmm. gauntlets and stuff very cool um and then the last ahsoka episode and, takes place mm -hmm. ap after uh, talking to episode three, right bail or gone or she gets oh no after she like escapes to a before that she's what well, opens with with padme's she's at padme's funeral Oh right, yes, of course. Um, and Bell, Bellagrana recognize her in the crowd, and they split off, and they have a conversation. He's like, "All right, you you ready to like fight these guys?" Then and she's like, "Nah, ain't about it. I'm tired of fighting." Um, which is reminiscent of someone else we've had the past couple of weeks here. Um, she's like, "I'm cool." And he's like, "All right, well, I'm gonna give this to you anyways. And if you wanna, if you need help, let me know." And she dips right. Uh, as you said, they she tries to find this like simple, like kind of under the radar existence on this farming moon. And of course, she something goes wrong. She's to save someone with the force. Somebody sees, and then they report to them. And then the Inquisitor shows up and just wreaks havoc. She takes him on, and because she's real good, um, she's able to defeat him even even though she's unarmed. And she gets his lightsaber, and then. Uh, that's that's actually the lightsaber that she takes. She takes those crystals and she purifies them, and that's how she gets her her white lightsabers, which is very cool. Uh, and then so the, these people though are left without like their lives are ruined and kind of thing. And she needs some some help, so she calls up Bale and he's like, "You're ready to you ready to fight now?" And she's like, "Yep." <laughs> and uh, that's how she joins the rebellion. Mm -hmm. So I would say this episode, Jack, most controversial of the bunch. So. Um, as I said, I actually was pleasantly surprised because I didn't see much of the retconning or anything that I was worried about from the Dooku episodes that I had I had seen rumblings about. But this episode definitely uh, definitely has some some retconning in that it is basically a really obviously condensed, fast and loose adaptation of the Ahsoka novel, right? Which I've mentioned a handful of times. Um, and, you know, basically just in doing so, mm -hmm. it has to remove a lot of the finer detail and a lot of the plot and whatnot. Um, and in particular, something that's gotten people quite bothered is that it, it uh, omits a character who is um, a sort of love interest for Ahsoka. Um, it's kind of in, it's a bit of an unrequited love because Ahsoka is too like, focused on her stuff and she's kind of a loner at this stage. You know, she's got her whole thing of like low and she's, She's too nervous about the empire and all. Um, but the, the the people who first show her sort of are nice to her and and let her in on uh, on this planet are these two sisters. And when one of the sisters basically has like like said like a crush on Ahsoka. And um, so the absence of these two characters really kind of bothered some people, especially because it's like you know it was a bit of a bit of minority representation, which is always good, right? As like a trans woman of or not trans, mm, yeah. but just like a uh, lesbian woman of color character so people were 
bothered that she was left out basically um it especially i don't know it's a thing i don't i don't know if we've brought it up on the show but it's definitely a thing i've talked to you before about that people uh some people have gotten bothered by other uh dave filoni helmed projects in the past doing this particularly like the bad batch people complain is like they whitewashed the characters from being like pacific islander to just being caucasian appearing which i mean i don't not gonna lie i think some of it gets gets into like a bit of of nitpicking but you know it's one of those things where it's like i guess if it's important to you then i can understand where you're coming from um but i guess my my thing with this is that while it does feel on some level like oh you've you've taken the story of the book and you've changed it and you've kind of retconned it and it seems somewhat representative of a pattern lately that we've called out a couple times um in some of these projects which is that even though star wars is supposed to have one unified canon nowadays they still seem to treat it like some things are more important than others right and so on some level this feels like right, dave yeah. filoni said well my show is kind of more important than a book so i'm just gonna run with it i think that's sort of the less charitable um sort of interpretation of it i think the reality is a little bit more a little bit mm-hmm. more nuanced than that i think for one thing um it's important to know that like Basically, Dave Filoni had this kind of outline for the story. A.K. Johnson adapted it and and made a book out of it. And now he's gone back and he's actually doing it himself, which is kind of a similar thing that happened with some of season seven of The Clone Wars. Um, The the same thing basically occurred where he had those rough ideas. E.K. Johnson adapted them. And then when he went to do it, he actually did it exactly how he wanted, which ended up conflicting slightly with some of the stuff in the book, right? I think it's one of those things where it was probably all right. for the best in the story because it's like, this is his story that he came up with. He shouldn't have to be beholden to someone else, you know, for that, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think that's too unreasonable. I would say so. I will say E.K. Johnston herself is also not overly bothered by it. So if that's that's worth anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the same vein, though, some of the more those more extreme members of the fandom have also turned on her recently for other things. So it's like... There's definitely some people who are are just pretty difficult to please. <laughs> mad to get mad. So I don't think this is a super big deal. I think if you look at it through the lens of this is adapting that novel to a more digestible, really easy form for a wider audience, um, I, I think it's fine. People who really care can just read the book again. And it, like I said, I think it mostly, I think they mostly vibe together. With a, with a just the slightest bit of like you know interpretation right i don't mm. think it's like a disastrous uh strike to canon which is what some people seem to kind of imply Bef- before i saw it seeing some people's reaction i was like oh god is this a big deal and then you watch it and as with a lot of- yeah it's it's only if you really really care about this one thing and if you don't you're like yeah well this isn't totally necessary and i would say that book real real quite good i i really like that novel i actually just recently I uh, listened to it again because of Obi-Wan, maybe? I think Obi-Wan inspired it because it's a similar kind of time thing, and it's a similar thing of, like, you know, hiding Jedi kind of coming back into the fold sort of sort of deal. There's some smart ideas there. So I, I think when we were watching Obi-Wan, I'd listen to it again. It's a really good book. I, I think it's cool. And you just need, uh, again, it kind of sucks because it would be obviously in an ideal sort of perfect world, right? The canon would be co- totally 100% cohesive, and there would be no hiccups like this mm-hmm. but you know if you can come into it with just a little bit of like bring your own, be prepared to do a little bit of your own sort of rewriting on the fly to to make everything mesh 
it's it's you know it's not so bad i guess it's it's a good book so if anything i think that's the probably the positive spin to put on it yeah that'd always be good get some support for that so uh we can probably move on to the dooku episodes so these episodes kind of tell their own they're all kind of sandwiched in the middle of it they're all like one after the other but i think it's just they decided to present them in chronological order oh even no. though uh even though it yeah it ends up splitting up the uh the characters here or it's, i don't know how old is this it's a good point actually it, it would be close wouldn't it i mean that was my assumption because otherwise why wouldn't the ahsoka one be with the other two ahsoka yeah ones, right and i guess i see what you mean though yeah because so if ahsoka was so obi-wan 14, the beginning of the clone war she would be yeah, I guess she would only have been four at the time of the Phantom Menace. So if she's an infant, uh, yeah, because Qui-Gon Jinn's like a, a Padawan. Yeah, yeah he's, no. however old he is. Yeah, the 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 first one with Dooku and Qui-Gon should be before Ahsoka was born. So yeah, eh, I guess I don't know why they did it like that. Then never mind. <laughs> it was a cool idea. I think it's close. Everything everything other than that first one is in chronological order for sure, no doubt. So. I just don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this basically gives a pretty cohesive arc of uh, Dooku's disillusionment with the Republic and the Jedi. Uh, so in the first episode, we get uh, him and Qui-Gon going on like a separate mission to retrieve this person's son, the senator's son. They go to this town and it's revealed in their little investigation that like, hey, the senator sucks. He's fucking up everything and we don't like him. They're like, all right, let's take us to our son. We'll, we'll figure it out. And the son's like, yeah, I didn't know my father was a dickhead. Uh, I never left the capital. I want to help these people. And they're like, okay. And then uh, the sender shows up and he's like, I'm going to kill them all, Jedi. And they're like, mm, I don't really think you should do that, man. I think we're going to keep doing what we're doing. You're going to let us do it. And they have a big fire, like a big battle. Uh, and then Count Dooku kind of loses it and uses like chokes him, chokes him with the force. And Qui-Gon has to kind of talk him down and releases the kid. And he's like, oh, I went too far there. Oh, geez. That's the first one. Uh but yeah, well, I'll, I'll stop there. I don't, I'm going to describe all of them. We'll just do them as they go. Like you said, it, it begins his sort of disillusionment with the, the Republic. So, you know, we repeatedly are told throughout the prequels and stuff that the Jedi served the, at the sort of pleasure of the Senate, um, which, you know, is sort of this checks and balances system they got going on so that, you know, neither one of them gets too sort of powerful or anything. So that, you know, the, the Jedi are not a totally separate independent body that can do whatever they want. They are um, on some level beholden to the Senate, which should mean they're beholden to the will of the people, right? Who, who you know, vote for the their representatives and stuff. Um, but as in right. a lot of re republics, maybe even uh, in the real world, uh, the system doesn't always work perfectly and you get some individuals who become a part of it who are not, uh, don't necessarily have the best interests of the people at heart, like the Senator. So seeing Dooku, seeing firsthand how this all plays out and how, oh, yeah. You know, this guy's able to stay in power for all these years, even though his people are actually, you know, living in squalor and oppression and all this. Um, yeah, he's clearly got some feelings about it that might might inform some later decisions. Oh, yes. And uh, yeah, definitely. And then these later decisions uh, become the second episode of this, wherein uh, him and Mace Windu are sent. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're not on the council yet, both. Uh, at least Mace Windu isn't, because Dooku never sits in the council. Uh, he goes, and they go to this planet where a Jedi was killed uh, as a retriever body so he can have a proper burial. Duke is like, I want to investigate why someone just like killed a master Jedi. Like that shouldn't, that shouldn't just happen. And Wynn's like, I don't know why you care. It's just, I mean, we just gotta do, we're here to do one thing. We don't need to be poking around. And Duke does, and um, talks to the senator, and the senator takes him to where like she was killed. 
and it's revealed that actually the the guards like turned on him and like killed the Jedi, killed the master, and it's because they like the same thing as the last episode, reinforcing these ideas Dooku has of like, yeah, like we think you guys don't really give a shit, and you guys are just kind of like the lapdogs of the oppressive senators, mm. and we just want to change. And then Dooku's like, hmm, that's not good. Uh, Mason Wingo kind of yells at him and is like, can't be doing this stuff, man. You're going off track too much. What you're getting is, I mean, there's some interesting ideas to this. Like, part of the ideas of the prequel is that the, the Republic has lost its way, right? Um, and this is just further evidence of that. And we see it a ton throughout the, the Clone Wars series as well. That like, yeah, oh, yeah this absolutely. is another senator who was actually you know, directly doing substantial harm to the planet he's supposed to represent. He was selling them off for his own, you know, personal monetary gain instead of helping the people. And uh, Dooku clearly has a moment where he's like, oh, God, I, I kind of see where you guys are coming from. And he even says as much to the guy at one point at the end when he's all locked up. He's like, you know what? You went a little too far maybe with your methods, but I, I like your I like your spirit, kid. And Mason is like, what? What do you mean? Nah, we'll just we'll just head out. What was that? Uh, nothing. Let's let's go home, man. The salt in the wound is that it's revealed that uh, Mace Windu is going to be receiving the council spot of the fallen master there, um, passing over Dooku uh, because the council doesn't really condone his his more aggressive methods. And Mace Windu is like, you 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 went off script there, Dooku. We were mm-hmm. we were just supposed to be there to pick up the body, and and I knew that, and I stuck to the plan, and you went crazy, and look at now the senator's dead. So uh, yeah, uh, you went a bit too far there, man. Yeah, good fuck, idiot. Lol. Good luck. <laughs> Hope we don't leave the the order. Grumble, 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 grumble. And these uh, grumblings lead us into episode three. I guess when I meant three, I meant the third episode. But we're at episode four of this, the third episode of this story. Um, you know, numbers that get confused in my head. Um. <laughs> But he's uh, at, he's at the temple walking around, yeah. talking to Yaddle, right? Or no? Yeah, he's talking to Yaddle. Quagan's talking to Yaddle uh, about Dooku's in the library, whatever. And then Dooku shows up, and he's like, "Hey, I heard there's a right." He's in the library, and he deletes Camino. He deletes the rec- yeah, and he deletes the records of Camino. Then he leaves. He talks to the librarian. I did like that. Uh, and librarian's he's like, "What's all the the?" Hike? Yeah, this whole episode takes place pretty much directly concurrently with the Phantom Menace. So Jocasta's like, "Mace Windu or uh, Qui Gon just got back. We he says he saw a Sith Lord on Tatooine." And he's like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah, the Council kind of thinks he's fucking stupid, but we're gonna hear him out." He's like, hmm, "Maybe I can get him on my side now." And then uh, Qui Gon's talking to Yaddle, and then uh, who's voiced by Bryce Dallas Howard, right? That's what I kept seeing. It was a very good job, I think. I w- I don't know that I would have known if I didn't see. I, I thought her voice would have like been much more blatant, but yeah, if if you didn't tell me it was her, I wouldn't have known. Yeah, just more than bloody Chris Pratt can say about Mario, am I right? Um, anyway, <laughs> um, Dooku intercepts him and he's like, "Hey, you know the council's kind of kind of stupid, don't you think, Qui Gon? They're not gonna believe you." And like, Yaddle's like, "Bro, I'm like on the council. You can like, I'm right here, man." He's like, yeah, "Whatever, Yaddle. Whatever, girl Yoda. Whatever. I don't give What's a shit." Name again? Uh, and they're talking, and he brings up Obi Wan. Yeah. What's your name? Who cares? Like, you're dumb. So then they talk about Obi-Wan. I was like, yeah, Obi-Wan's pretty cool. You should meet him. And he's like, I would like to. Wonder when that'll happen. They go their separate ways. I appreciated that, Jack. I don't know if you remember, but when you talked about it before, my concern with um with the this idea of Dooku being at um Qui-Gon's funeral, uh, more so than like s- stepping on Dooku Jedi Lost or anything. Um was stepping on the movie it's the movies themselves 
when I had heard that rumor because in episode two, when they meet, it's very blatantly yeah, their like, first meeting. So I was like, that would be a crazy thing to try to retcon <laughs> is, is that one of the films itself, but that's not oh, what absolutely. Again, that, that rumor was clearly, clearly fake. But I, so I was very relieved when they were like, yeah, hopefully I meet him someday, which hasn't occurred yet. I've not, I've not yet met that man. We'll see. <laughs> and I was like, good. You haven't even ruined everything. Good job, Dave. Uh, but then it's um, Yell follows him and he goes to his secret little abandoned area of Coruscant and meets with our good friend Emperor Palpatine. And he's like, yeah, you did it, man. And you goes like, I don't know, man. I feel like I'm doing some fuck shit. And Palpatine's like, it's fine. Don't even worry about it. You're definitely the good guy here. And Yell's like, yeah, that's right. He died. Yeah, he was he died and he could have helped us. And he's like, don't even worry about it. It's, it's actually fine. And then Yell's like, bro, what the fuck? What are you doing? Well, that guy's, what are you talking about? You're killing people? Stop it. And he's like, oh, you, oh, oh, Yaddle. You really weren't supposed to see this girl, Yoda. And then they do a big fight. Full commitment to the dark side. Yeah. Which is really interesting. I, I found these episodes super fascinating in terms of their, you know, examination of Dooku's character. He's a guy who, like, despite, you know, how kind of significant he is to a lot of this, he doesn't get a lot of this actual sort of close examination, really. It's, you know, Play. for most of the Clone Wars, he's just there as the as the bad guy, right? You know, just the, the, the evil villain. Um, we don't get this kind of level of examination, which I, I really kind of enjoyed through this. And like you like you said or, uh, up top, I was surprised and interested to learn just how how early on he was working with Sidious um, as well. I was surprised. I don't think we necessarily knew this mm -hmm. as of yet, that he was working with Sidious as early as, yeah, the Phantom Menace, that Sidious had him and Darth Maul at the same time, sort of concurrently like that. It was interesting to learn, which is very Sith. They're always playing both sides against the middle kind of thing. So it's not it's not very surprising, but it was interesting to learn. It yeah. makes you wonder, you know, I, I suppose the Sith sort of logic there would just be whichever one proves themselves more. Um, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I feel like Dooku is the much more valuable apprentice to have, as we see, because Dooku is able to be this this politician and this leader who is able to create a, a you know, a faction equal and opposite to the Republic to start this big intergalactic war. That's something Darth Maul would have never been able to do. So in that sense, Dooku is probably more useful, but it, it I do wonder of like, I guess he just had them both around and whichever one uh, proved themselves best, you know? It was kind of, it's yeah. probably one of those things where it's like Darth Maul died, so he wasn't strong enough, so see ya. But yeah, I still got Dooku. Yeah, I got Dooku. Maybe he won't And then die. later on you get Anakin and you say, Anakin's better. Let's get rid of this. Yeah, I want, a, I want some young blood. Shit. And he gets burned by oh. lava and it's like, all right, I, I guess keep my eyes out, I don't though. have anybody else at the moment, so I gotta use... Oh. I'll I guess I gotta get Starkiller. Ears uh, peeled. Eyes peeled? What's the expression? Uh, I think <laughs> ears shucked is the expression. Oh, okay, cool. Um, keep your eyes peeled and ears shucked. Yeah, you know, it's really cool. I, this this idea that uh, I think... I really do think Dooku started with the best of intentions um, in terms of, of, of all this. That he really did mean to, like, do good and that he believed that the senate was corrupt and that he could try to help fix it he didn't want to just see everything burn um but i think what happened is that over time you know being a sith lord and being entrenched in the dark side like that corrupted him and made him into something else which yeah. is it's 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 want it, it to do warped right? all his beliefs kind of the whole danger with it and so i think by the end he probably was mm -hmm. more or less just a, another mustache twirling villain um, but in the beginning, it's fascinating to know that like he really did have sort of noble, noble intentions maybe behind this, and he just kind of got lost along the way. Because again, that you can't you can't just dabble with the dark side and still be good. That's kind of the 
that's kind of the danger of it is is thinking that you can mm-hmm. and again he has points folly, right? man like most everything he says about the senate in this is correct as we know from from other stuff like they really have lost their way they really do suck they it is rife yeah. with with corruption and and all this um the problem is of course and it's a thing we've i've railed against before on the show um trying to pretend like the sith and the empire is better is is very wrong it's ludicrous <laughs> but it, ludicrous. they do yeah. definitely it definitely has its problems that should be addressed um the uh the revenge of the sith novelization has some mm. similar stuff um you get a lot of a really big section of inner monologue from dooku during the the fight with anakin and obi-wan where he's like all of our plans will come to fruition it's going to be sick um and he's he's talking about how like he's like yeah me anakin and and sidious we're all going to rule together it's going to be sweet we're going to get him on the team we're going to have an army full of sith lords and we're going to we're going to use it to to do so much order you won't even believe how much order there's going to be how much peace and order we're going to have it's going to be so orderly. It's going to be so sweet. I'm totally going to get rid of the corruption. It's going to be sick when I'm in charge. And then obviously, of course, by the end of the fight, he's like, oh, wait. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> this is a test. Whoever could be stronger would oh, live. Geez. Uh, but it's a similar thing of just like, at that point, you can see how far he's gone where he actually believes that like an army full of force-powered Sith Lords is going to be the thing that's going to really, really keep everything nice and, everything. And, and orderly. <laughs> and it's like, are you kidding? <laughs> Again, somehow being like the Jedi are wrong, and, and are you they, You know, at the very least, they're flawed and they're mistaken in some of their beliefs. So, I think we just need to find an analogy that is exactly opposite to them, and that—that's the answer, right? Yeah, just equal just and opposite. By the, by the point of, the, of that stage, you know, ten plus years on, he just—he's totally lost whatever noble intentions he has, and he just wants sort of power and and influence and all that. I mean, just like at Dooku's allies in the prequels, right? We, we talk about it all the time, but the all the mega corporations mm-hmm. that have their own, you know, uh, you know, political interests, right? The banking clan and the trade federation, which have, you know, representatives in the Senate for some reason. Like those are the dudes he's on board with. Th- those are those are his his main his main backers are the are all the the horrible, you know, capitalists and and you know, full on uh, corporations. So you know, again, he's he. He definitely doesn't stick to this um, all the way through, but mm, it is interesting definitely. to see that path he goes down. So, uh, you got anything else to say about uh, these? No, I think just so, just in general. Again, I really liked him. I was kind of, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I think not that I wasn't expecting to like him. I was, you know, Star Wars animation. I was like, this will probably be good. I can't imagine hating it by any means, right? I have, I have yet to. Um, yeah. At, at the very least, pretty much everything that Star Wars puts out animation wise is inoffensive right yeah at the very um, least but no this was i thought was genuinely great like i said I, I think something about the the nice punchy real real brisk pacing of it was definitely definitely worked in its favor um you know because i know you have complaints about like say the bad batch that there's a little a bit of filler and a lot of people have that same complaint that like a lot of those episodes don't feel very important um but this is six episodes mm-hmm. 15 minutes a piece i mean the whole this whole season here as it is it's like less than two hours worth of content right like you just really breeze oh, yeah. right through hour and, and that's an yeah, hour and a half I, it, I really do think it works in their favor it's, again it's one of those things where i'm not saying every star wars thing from here on out should be 15 minutes long um i'm just saying that in this case it worked <laughs> in its favor and this these created some nice compelling punchy stories i mean 
in fact, I would say that like the last one in particular, um, Resolve, suffered actually for it because I do think that story plays out much better and much more, you know, satisfyingly in the full in the longer format. This kind of does it a disservice trying to chop it down to fifteen minutes. Um, but then some of these, like I, I think oh, yeah. Sith Lord and Practice Makes Perfect were my two favorites. They just tell nice little contained stories of just you know little little tales from these these characters lives which is neat tales, tales from, from the these jedi the sith lord in particular has a really i think it has oh, yeah. a cool tone throughout most of it um especially after qui-gon's death oh yeah absolutely uh i really like these two i i wouldn't mind if they had more of these with other jedi from the clone wars like our, my boy plo Koon, kid fisto all the fellas i think it'd be cool because uh, it's it's not like the tales of ahsoka and Dooku. but it's interesting because um a lot of people actually complain that it's too much clone wars that if they do more of these they would like it to be anything other than clone wars i think i wouldn't i wouldn't mind other jedi stories outside of clone wars oh yeah i'm not gonna pretend like i mean i love the clone wars i don't mind that's kind of my thing so i don't i really don't have a problem either way i agree but yeah a lot of people you know they've thrown out everything you could do even like sequel stuff obviously would be uh, that'd be cool old republic stuff yeah exactly you could go backwards um even uh like Poe, but the between the the original and the sequels, right? Like Luke in that era. Um, I saw someone put out Leia. That would be really interesting. Oh, that'd be good. I saw someone had the idea to do a second season that was the two the two character focused were would be Leia and Ben. Um, which those would contrast yeah, in that'd be interesting good. ways, probably. Yeah. yeah. So there's lots of cool ideas. I mean, uh, this is a this is an incredibly broad. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very, very broad premise for a show is episodes about Jedi. <laughs> like, yeah, we can do, we can do pretty much anything here. So, absolutely. Um, and again, I don't know. Only six episodes, only fifteen minutes a piece. I can't imagine this was over overly difficult or costly for them to put out. Um, I feel like they could crack these out pretty quick. I mean, not to undersell animation and all. I know those guys work very hard, and uh, there is a lot of lead time and and more going on behind the scenes than necessarily is apparent but still i think you could you could definitely do these with some regularity absolutely it would be i know i'd watch it oh yeah i mean it's no it's no skin off my back if they spend more money to make more star wars shows for me to watch is it with that probably we call an episode after this all right perfect so we're gonna wrap it up right about here so always thanks so much for listening you can find us on twitter at akatak jazz at j and on gmail at akatechjazz at gmail.com you can find us on instagram at the akatech podcast uh, you can listen to us in any of your favorite podcast streaming services we'll be there all right as always our logo was done by friend of the show jeffrey gonzalez you can always find him at inkocean.jpg on instagram or on redbubble our intro was done by friend of the show celery salt you can find him on spotify and soundcloud uh, with his single with the b-side and more to come later and as always we wrote it we produced it we built all the sets. Say goodnight to the people, Zach. Good night. Good night, and Godspeed.